BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, something strange happened last night at the beginning of the Utah Washington State broadcast. The broadcast itself was confused, and it's raised some questions today about the broadcast entity, the teams involved, questions in this new world of college athletics, frankly. I took a deep dive on it today at johnconzano.com. It's caused a little bit of a stir across the conference as people don't agree. And my point in writing this piece wasn't really to take a definitive side, but rather to pull back the curtain on what was Cam Rising's disappearing act. He went Houdini last night in Pullman at Martin Stadium. For those of you that tuned in on FS1 at the beginning of the broadcast, you heard a very confused broadcast crew. Petros Papadakis, his play-by-play broadcaster, the producers, the directors... I went behind the scenes. They were looking for Cam Rising. They were expecting Cam Rising at quarterback. And in fact, when they had met with Kyle Whittingham and Andy Ludwig in their Zoom call on Wednesday night, they were told Cam Rising is our starter. Cam Rising worked on the field with the first unit. He was listed on the two-deep chart. But I'm told by a source at Utah that Cam Rising came to head coach Kyle Whittingham uh, in the 20 minutes before the game and said, Coach, I can't go. This was back in the locker room after he had already run through warm-ups, after he had been on the field, he came to Coach and he said, I I can't do it. In this era where athletes, are so much pressure on athletes, name, image, likeness, uh, win big, you're our top-ranked team, Cam Rising basically said, I feel shaky, I don't think I can go. He had suffered a knee injury at some point of the USC game. Uh, 12 days earlier, and uh, Utah turned to their freshman quarterback, uh, a walk-on quarterback that uh, that people hadn't talked about, Bryson Barnes, and they gave him the keys, sophomore rather, not, not a freshman. Bryson Barnes gets the keys. He's a walk-on. They say, hey, you're going to go. He found out maybe uh, 15, 20 minutes before the game that he was going to be the starter. The problem was that Utah did not inform the FS1 broadcast crew. Petros Papadakis, his uh, his uh, cohort in the studio, Jeff Levering, none of the producers, not the production truck. Uh, they, in fact, they didn't even tell their sports information director, Jordy Lindley, who was left in the dark as well. And I'm going to get into whether or not this was right, this was wrong, why it happened. I mean, I think there's a lot of tentacles to this thing, and nobody's really happy today. But I want to go behind the scenes, and we're bringing Petros Papadakis on this show at 4 o'clock. He's going to talk about his experience. But I want to kick around just the idea of a broadcast entity and a league. We're watching media rights deals uh, escalate to a billion dollars in the case of the Big Ten Conference and the SEC not far behind them. There's a lot of money attached to this stuff. These games get broadcast. Uh, the uh, the broadcast productions, uh, you know, obviously have a lot of moving parts. Uh, they are in a partnership, but uh, I, I'm different as a media member. Like, I don't expect Jonathan Smith. I don't expect Dan Lanning. I don't expect Kyle Whittingham necessarily to tell me what uh, what is going on behind the scenes if it doesn't give them a competitive advantage. Like, when I asked Jonathan Smith a couple of Wednesdays ago, 
you know, would uh, would Ben Goldbrunson get the start or would Chance Nolan be back? And he said it's looking like it's Goldbrunson. Chance Nolan has a lot more work to do. He didn't have to do that. I, it was in the run-up to the Washington State game. Uh, I tweeted it out. Jake Dickert, the coach at Washington State, later said he saw my tweet. And so he uh, he kind of said, well, I didn't know whether to believe it or not because it's a coach speaking to a media member. So you get that. Like, you get the idea that there's no obligation, there's no partnership between a normal media member and a coach. Like Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune, he noted that Rising was asked about his knee about a week earlier. He had arrived at a meeting with the media um, with his knee wrapped, and he said that he was fine, he's still upright, he's, go he's doing good, he's breathing. Um, and there was no real follow-up over that. But apparently what happened on Wednesday is that the broadcast crew was told Cam Rising is going to go. We obviously know now that in the 11th hour, Cam Rising then was told, um, hey, you are, uh, you know, Cam Rising told his coach, I'm, I'm, I can't go. And so Utah made a change. Utah did not inform FS1. And the broadcast opened with video, B-roll video of Cam Rising throwing the football. They started talking about him and his heroics. And, and then uh, Washington State kicked off. And then they went to this screenshot of Cam Rising and his stats. And then all of a sudden there was chaos in the FS1 broadcast booth. The director was yelling, "Get find Cam Rising. He's yelling at the camera operators. The camera operators in the stadium are going, we don't see him. He's not on the field. And suddenly it became evident that either... Utah figured out in the 11th hour, hey, Cam Rising can't go, and they just didn't tell anybody. Or Utah was intentionally trying to mislead people. Was it gamesmanship, or was it just, hey, a misfire, and if it was a misfire, why? Um, I've done some diving on this. I wrote all about it, but I want to kick this around off the top of the show today because I think it's really interesting. Because on one hand, you have a partnership between a broadcast entity, FS1, and the Pac-12 Conference. The duty of FS1 is to showcase the product, to know what's going on, the broadcast opens, celebrate what's happening. And, in fact, if it's a backup quarterback that's going to play, that's the time and place for the broadcast crew to go, hey, look, here's this guy. He's an all-state high school player. He raced pigs as a kid. He's an Eagle Scout. Like, you know, know all about him and introduce that, hey, there's a new quarterback about to play for for Utah. It's very different than the job that I'm doing. I'm not sitting there trying to showcase the game or celebrate the Pac-12 before the games. I'm writing about what I see and think and hear and reporting on that. So there's a lot to chew here. And lost in this, and I think it's a really important thing, is that FS1 is producing the broadcast from a remote location. Now, pandemic hit, FS1, and a lot of other broadcast entities have continued to do this. The network did not have a sideline reporter at the stadium. They used the minimum number of cameras, six cameras, on Thursday's broadcast. And for people who tuned in or maybe toggled between the Thursday night football product on Amazon and FS1, it was a uh, less than impressive broadcast uh, on behalf of FS1. And it started with that face plant where is cam rising sort of mystery now i kind of liked it as a viewer like i like selfishly i enjoyed it because to me it felt uh it felt real i could hear the surprise in the broadcasters voices i could tell that something wasn't right because they were expecting rising i was expecting rising and all of a sudden we were looking at a brand new quarterback and trying to figure out like how the hell did that happen but uh the fs1 is not happy about this and they're not happy about it, and Utah's not happy about it. Utah's saying, well, look, 
Yeah, they barely uh, produce the broadcast. They you know they're they're taping everything. Like this is ridiculous. But I think it's worth noting that there is a relationship breakdown here, no doubt. Unquestionably, there's a breakdown of the relationship. I had one longtime Pac-12 administrator say, "What investment is FSU FS1 putting in? Like they're not there. They've got Petros and and his sidekick in a uh, booth in Los Angeles. They don't have a sideline reporter there." Like, what kind of relationship do they expect to have with Utah if they're not actually in the building? And that's a really good point. It's an important point. But I want to know where you sit on this. This column got a ton of run today, and it divides people. It fractures the audience. Do you think that Utah had an obligation, ethical, contractual obligation, as a, uh, as a uh, relationship, in their relationship with a rights holder, who, uh, who is supposed to be their partner, do they have an obligation a minute or two or five minutes before kickoff to turn to FS1 and go, hey, uh, Cam Rising's not going to play. Uh, we don't want Washington State to know that until you know the last possible moment, but we, uh, we don't want to make you look bad on your broadcast. So um, you know, this, is, uh, this is what's happening. We're going with the backup. Do they have a relationship and an obligation to do that? Or... Is this all love and, you know, all's fair in love and war? You know, when you come to the idea of Utah being able to go, hey, you know, we're not going to tell anybody anything. We're focused laser-like on winning this football game. The broadcast crew, they're not even in the stadium. They can figure it out themselves. 503-417-7575 is the number. I want to know what you think. And, and I have kind of bounced all over the place on this thing because I do understand Utah's position I simultaneously, you know, I'm in the world of media. I know Petros a little bit, and I, I think that's a terrible position for the media partner to be in. Where do you stand on this? 503-417-7575. Peter Sampson, Stephen, I bet we all disagree on this. What do you guys think of this? I think, I'm sorry, Stephen. Oh, no, uh, it rubs me the wrong way, and I know there are official rules on what you do, and then I know there's kind of just the unspoken we do this uh we do this zoom call or this in-person you know quick meeting and we get you up to speed so we can put together a great broadcast so i'm sure they technically weren't required to do it but it's a bad look you want these games to be presented in the best way possible it makes your team look good it makes the conference look good it makes the uh the the broadcast crew look good i i don't like it i understand if it was gamesmanship i totally get that i know that coaches do that but i like when it's to the point when you're showing the dude and his highlights and he's not even out there, it's just a bad look. Yeah, it just looks bad for everybody. Like you said, I, I kind of agree with Peter a lot of this. And and as a guy that's not really a true fan of any team, but I like to gamble. Like that is a mm. big part of it. Is you know, I, I, like on the show we made our picks. I liked Utah minus seven and a half. Well, you know what? If I knew Cam Rising wasn't playing, I definitely would have picked Washington State, right? But I had no idea. FS1 had no idea, and it makes them look bad. It makes the announcers look bad. And just knowing play-by-play guys and how much time they put in, how much effort and research they do, like, to not have any of this information and be caught off guard. Like, I know some of it you have to be ready for anything, but this one was so, um, you know, it could have been avoided. And all Utah had to do was kind of do a little wink and a nod and say, you know what, Cam Rising, you know, has a hurt knee, blah, blah, blah. And a little wink and say he may not play. Or, like, do a little hint towards it, and they would have been ready. They've been ready for it, but there was no hint. And I just think with so much money on the line, with media rights, all this stuff, all this money these schools are getting, all the money that's being gambled, 
I think it's t- it's a tough look, and I think there needs to be some type of regulation on it saying you need to release some type of injury report going into the game. I think it is very necessary uh, just for the best type of product you can get as a fan. I think there's so many tentacles. Like, I don't blame the Utah side of the equation because in order to have a relationship, I do think you have to spend some time in the stadium if you're FS1. And I think there's some frustration from fans right now on the little investment that FS1 is making uh, in, uh, in uh, you know, like uh, Doug Tamaro, the SID at Arizona State, just tweeted out. He says, I have no dog in the fight, but it's time for broadcasters to get back in the booth and not in the studio. Like, I think there's some residual resentment from the programs towards FS1 that they haven't been there. And so I wonder how that played into this. I also think if I'm Kyle Whittingham, I may not want, I may not want Washington State to know about this. You know, I I might not want Washington State to have any kind of uh, inkling that Rising's not going to be available. Like, that doesn't help me. And so, simultaneously, I don't have a relationship with FS1. I am uh, looking at Washington State and going, uh, I don't want them to find out. Like, it doesn't do me any good. They're preparing for Cam Rising. Like, Jake Dickert, after the game, he said that, the, that college football should go to a, uh, a mandatory who's available roster, like a 60-man roster. Uh, you know, before an hour, do an hour before the game. Who's available? I don't know if that would have helped because if Cam Rising's coming out and he's warming up, it doesn't really help things. I just think there's so many tentacles to this, and it's interesting to me. 503-417-7575 is a number. Let's go to the phones. Dennis is in Canby. Dennis, go ahead. Hi, John. So there is an app that if you're over the age of 18 and you're in the state of Oregon, you can wager on player stats in amateur events, for instance. If Cam Rising, anybody wagered anything over on his rushing yards, his completion attempts, all the different stats having to do with him, and he took one snap, all those bets are lost. Hmm. If he doesn't play at all, they take that one off of the three-game parlay or whatever you had. I mean, I didn't have any money on it, right. but I'm just saying – this, this is available, and I've done with baseball, basketball, a little bit on football. Yeah, and, but, gen- uh, but generally you don't get college football available in the state of Oregon on that app. But I get what you're saying. Should there, Guys, should there even be a gambling uh, element? Is gambling part of this conversation? Steven, you brought it up. Is it part of the conversation? I think that it is. And we see in the professional leagues, all these professional leagues are now aligning themselves with sportsbooks. ESPN is trying to make a deal with DraftKings to be a part of the sportsbook. Like, gambling, you know, it's still taboo in certain places, but, like, it is here, and I think it's still growing, and there's so much money being involved. Like, we just want the purity of the sport, right? We don't want anything to mess with that. So I do think gambling does play into it because you could say, uh, you know, if you really wanted to, right, like somebody in Utah has information that would affect that line. If Cam Rising was known to be out, it would not have been seven and a half. It would have been, you know, four and a half, three and a half, maybe even Washington State be a pick Like, that's how big of a difference it would have been, and that is very valuable information. Like, it's in the millions of dollars worth of information to have. So I think it does have a lot to do with it, and they should uh, take that into consideration. 503-417-7575. I want you to weigh in on this. Was FS1 wrong? Was Utah wrong? Is there something in the middle as you debate this or you think about what happens, you know, how obligated are coaching staffs to share information with broadcast partners? And can FS1 really have a, a dog in this fight? Can they really bellyache about it if they're not in the stadium? 
You tell me. 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. whole thing makes me want to start a TV network. Never had that thought before. Gonna make uh, Some guy tweeted at me, you're going to make billions of dollars. <laughs> and you're going to save pennies by not sending the broadcast crew to the stadium. Also by going with six cameras and no sideline reporter. Let's be fair here. I don't think anybody's innocent. Like Probably the truth is Utah should have shared that information. Other coaches have done it in the 11th hour. There's probably some frustration from the broadcast crew and the production crew and the director because, uh, you know, hey, look, they look stupid at the beginning of the broadcast. Let's be real. John, I got a question for you real quick. Do you think if this was a Big Ten game on a Friday or Thursday that they would have sent out the minimum? No. They'd be there, and they'd be there with a bunch of cameras. But it was Pac-12. So they Pac-12 on a Thursday, yeah. FS1. Uh, they know they're contractually obligated for six cameras. ESPN does the same thing. They send six cameras. And ESPN's doing some remote broadcasts, too. A lot of the RSNs, regional sports networks, are doing remote broadcasting. They're saving money. I don't like it. Fans don't like it. Um, and uh, last night, I think, it bit the broadcast crew in the butt. We'll hear from Petros Papadakis coming up at 4. And, I'm, and look, my interview with him is going to be about what it was like for him. What went into it. Because I think there's a fine line where you can come off entitled if you're a broadcaster going, well, they were supposed to share. Like, you don't I don't think that's the tone they're striking. I think that they just started the broadcast and they felt stupid because they were like, wait a minute, we're your broadcast partner and we don't know who's playing quarterback. Why didn't we know? Uh, let's go to the phone lines. I want your calls wherever you're listening. 503-417-7575. You make the show better. Mike is in Seattle, Washington. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, John. Uh yeah, this reminds me of Capricorn One, that movie. You remember seeing that movie, Capricorn One, back yes. in the day? Yep. You know, I'm up here in Seattle, and anytime these schools and these networks, they change their games to these off days, like a Thursday night, it is a big middle finger to all the businesses in Pullman, all the restaurants, all the hotels, all the, all the students, all the travelers that come from the west side that, you know, they just don't care about about the fans and the fan experience. And so then when you have a change like that, you know, where Cam Rising can't go, and they're down in L.A., you know, in a studio, and the SID of Utah doesn't have enough guts, you know, to call them on a phone number. He's probably got their phone. I mean, yeah. that's phone number, right? Yeah. And then say, hey, you know, this is on the QT. Don't announce it until later. Yeah, uh, but I just don't think I don't think they care anymore. I think everybody is after a buck, and I think they're going to kill the golden goose because fans are going to quit quit paying big money, you know, to go to these games. In the next generation of kids, you know, they're not going to do this. And so yeah. I'm worried about our school down in Corvallis and build a new stadium. I'm not going down there on a Thursday night in in October. Uh, you know, they did it to us this year. I think the Civil War was supposed to be on Friday, and it's now moved to Saturday. There are people that already made all their arrangements and all their travel and all their rooms, and then they change it on us. So yeah. I'm worried that this whole thing is going to blow up at some point because they really don't care, you know, about the fan who shows up. 
and all the businesses and all the restaurants and the bars. Yep. Um, and it's going to be a soundstage, just like Capricorn One. Um, yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, horse racing a little bit. Like, you know, people, they started saying, well, we need to increase the interest in horse racing, so we're going to allow people to wager from off-site. And heck, you can do it from your home in some places. All right, let's do that. That'll increase the amount of money that people are spending and investing and wagering and the interest in horse racing, and everyone went, cool. And then people stopped going to the track because they didn't need to. They could, they could you know, wager on their phone or their, or their home computer, or they could go to a casino or an off-site uh, wagering place. And then nobody went to the track, so the tracks started closing. If they weren't being subsidized by the states, you know, they started closing down, and then people went, well, what happened to horse racing? Uh, you you happened to horse racing. The system killed itself. I don't know if this is an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but made me think of it. Uh, here's what uh, part of the problem, though, last night is that uh, Jordy Lindley, the sports information director at Utah, did not know that Cam Rising wasn't starting. That wasn't shared with her either. Now, there's some frustration from the the mainstream media, the natural media, the beat reporters who cover Utah, they're frustrated because they feel like they never get good information. But uh, that's not what I'm talking about here. Like, I don't expect Kyle Whittingham or Andy Ludwig or Morgan Scally or Dan Lanning or Jonathan Smith or anybody else to turn to me and go, hey, my starting quarterback's not playing today. I don't expect that. But I'm just kind of wondering, like, where does the broadcast crew, where does the obligation? Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you guys both believe Utah was in the wrong, like totally in the wrong? Do you do you give FS1 a free pass all the way, or is part of them not being in the stadium part of the problem and the breakdown of this relationship? I think part of the problem is them not being there. I hate that for a multitude of reasons, and I could go for longer than three hours on that. But ultimately, look, Utah – I would imagine that the ideal is to have a relationship with your broadcasters, and you're not doing this in a public forum. You're not even necessarily releasing this to the public, but 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes ahead, just, hey, heads up, not playing. Don't share with anybody. Can't you do that? Right. Yeah, and Petros, I think, is going to talk about that. I'm going to ask him about that because I last night, he full disclosure, he called me on his way home. He was He was really upset. He called me on his way home, and he was like, we looked stupid. This is bad. And I said, look, sleep on it. Let's talk tomorrow. If you want to come on the show, you can come on. And so he's coming on at 4 o'clock. But, uh, and I'm sure he's going to talk about this on his own show. But I think, you know, he shared with me that there are a multitude of coaches over the years who have made those, you know, hey, don't say anything, uh, but we don't want you to look dumb on your broadcast. And he said some of them will call him like a minute before the broadcast or call the production truck and go, we're changing quarterbacks because they just don't want to make the, the partner look dumb. But also, Fox probably not part of the equation uh, as uh, as uh, the Pac-12 looks forward. Does that play a role in this, guys? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think there's, I think a lot of people are to blame. And, you know, I think Fox is to blame for not sending out people. I think Utah's to blame because they had all the information to give out to Fox and they didn't do it. But I, at the same time, if it's not a rule, like I don't blame Utah for not doing it. If they think there is some type of advantage, I can't be mad at them for that because there is no rule in place. Like I just think there needs to be something put down that says, you know, who is available. Kind of like what Jake Dickard said, who's available, who's not. I know in this situation, it may not even have helped because Cam Rising was, you know, working out and trying to play, and then at the very end didn't play. Right. But I do think there's got to be some sort of thing because 
it's just a miscommunication, and it mm-hmm. just makes everybody look bad. I think it makes like the Pac-12 look bad. It makes the schools look bad. It makes the you know the TV par- uh, partners look bad. I, and I just want it to be more of a smooth process. Yeah, and I, I have an attorney friend who said, hey, you know, that should be part of the contract. But, you know, I think, like, my my inclination is that it is part of the contract, that you are supposed to have these meetings. You are a rights holder. You're supposed to have some access. Like, I remember when Kirk Herbstreet got to go into Chip Kelly's practices during bowl week, and I was like, well, how is that fair? How is it fair that ESPN gets to go into a closed practice while all the other media's outside, and I, I was quickly reminded, like, ESPN owns the bowl game. Like, they're the rights holder for the bowl game. They own the show. They're putting on the event. They own the club. They're the promoter. And, you know, that's when I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They're not really a media entity. They are an event company. Same thing with FS1. They are putting on an event. We'll let Petros talk about it coming up at 4 o'clock. It should be a great conversation. Next, though, we're going to go to Cal. You tell me, is there anything going on with the UC Regents? Yeah. How about UCLA? How about Cal and Oregon? They're playing this weekend. We're going to uh, one of the publishers of Right for Cal. This is the best fan publication that is out there. If you want to know what's going on with Cal football, you check out Right for Cal. Uh, Next, we'll talk with one of the publishers of Right for Cal. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, Oregon is traveling to Cal this weekend. Cal's always been tough for Oregon. Some about Cal and Oregon always seems to be uh, always seems to present a problem for uh, for the uh, for the Ducks. And I think if you are somebody who is uh, you know interested in following this Oregon Cal game, you got to ask yourself what I was asking myself not too long ago. I was literally going, okay, what do I who do I talk to at Cal? And I worked in the Bay Area. I worked at the Mercury News. They don't have a Cal writer, really. In the Chronicle, used to have great Cal writers. And I thought, you know, so I asked my friend who's a huge Cal fan. I said, who does the best job on Cal? And he says, write for Cal. The fearless leader of write for Cal, Avinash Kunath, is joining us right now. How you doing? Give me the genesis, first of all, for write for Cal. Yeah, John. Um, so Right for Cal is basically an offshoot of California Golden Blogs, which I think you're pro- most of your audience is probably more familiar with. Um, we, used to be, uh, we used to be affiliated with SB Nation back in the day, and then some labor stuff happened, and we had to move uh, onto our own sub stacks, and now we have our own independent site where we're covering the Bears. We're just a bunch of fans. We've been doing this for almost 15 years now, and, uh, yeah, we've been just going strong since then. You've gone rogue like I've gone rogue. I like that. Uh, so give me an idea. This has been a tough year, and I've been following you. You're a hell of a follow on Twitter as well. You're funny, and you're interesting, and you get to the point, and I like that. And yeah, So give me an idea of what this season has been like for, for you and for Cal fans. Yeah, it has been a kind of a reckoning, I think. Kind of everything. It started basically in the off season. I mean, you you've covered it, like with Justin Wilcox in Oregon. Um, our head coach was being rumored after a five and seven season to be the next head coach at Oregon, and then that didn't really happen. And then suddenly he was the Cal coach for the next five years, and we kind of just reset the dime and did the same thing over. And since then, it's been the season from hell. We've kind of just 
you know, made mistake after mistake. We've lost games we shouldn't have. The offense has kind of fallen apart. We've had injuries in place to place. Um, and then obviously we had the, the terrible, the terrible defeat in Boulder. Um, and yeah, college just had a really rough season. We haven't really had much go our way this year and it doesn't really seem like there's, um, going to be much, much, much better. There's not going to be much improvement on that, on that front. Yeah, it, it's tough, and I know, you know, it's interesting. I heard from some Oregon fans who said, oh, gosh, we're glad we didn't get Justin Wilcox. You know, what are fans there saying? Are, are they, uh, have they had enough, or, you know, he's con- his contract just got extended, didn't it? Yes. Uh, Wilcox, I believe, had his contract extended through 2027, and the buyout is considerable, so I don't believe there's going to be much movement on that front, um, I think. We've done, our team has done some significant analysis on that. Um, there's not really a path toward making like a coaching move or anything along those lines. From the, the from what I'm hearing from the donors, it sounds like they're still on board. But I think the Colorado loss, like losing to well, last place Colorado, probably the worst team in Power Five football, um, really really shook a lot of people. And now there's just a lot of people thinking about what's next and what can we do to like change this the situation now there's probably going to be a reset of the Cal offense and who is running that like Bill Musgrave has not been terribly successful in his tenure here at Berkeley so there's probably going to be a reset there um, we did bring in Steve Greatwood as an analyst obviously most Oregon people know who he is uh, to kind of like monitor the offensive line which has been very poor this year um, so I think what you're going to see is another reset of the offensive staff and I think a lot of it will depend on what happens in the big game against Stanford. If Cal loses to Stanford, a very bad Stanford team, I think you're going to see a lot more donor input into who the next offensive coordinator is. Like right now, Wilcox has kind of had like free reign as to like what he, he does on offense and like who he hires and who he picks. But I think if Cal just bottoms out, there's going to be a lot more pressure from him on the don- from the donors. This football game with Oregon, it just seems to me that, you know, you look at the last couple of few years that Justin Wilcox has played Oregon pretty well. Do, do they get up for this game? Is it something personal to Justin? Uh, is it maybe more about Mario Cristobal, who played not to lose at times? How do, you, how do you sort of assess Cal's relative success against Oregon in the last couple of meetings? Yeah, I think, I think what made Oregon a little bit more easier to game plan against was Cristobal did play kind of a more conservative style of offense. Like Oregon would take a lead and they kind of sit on it. Um, and they would, they didn't have like really great dual threat guys. Like Justin Herbert was very much a pocket quarterback. Anthony Brown obviously had his struggles. Um, this year I'm less optimistic because Bo Nix is kind of the quarterback that, that gives Wilcox a lot of trouble. Um, I think the quarterback that, we have not figured out in this conference is Dorian Thompson Robertson at UCLA because he's dual threat. He can run. He can do all sorts of things outside of the pocket. He forces our linebackers to defend in space, and that's just not the defense Wilcox has ever been comfortable with dating back to his days as a defensive coordinator. So I don't have a ton of hope that we'll slot Bo Nix. It's going to have to be Bo Nix that stops Bo Nix. Yeah, but yeah, I, and I think Oregon, you know, unfortunately is coming into this game probably, uh, Avinash, they're probably, he's probably coming into this game going, we they need to make a statement the with the college football playoff rankings coming out on Tuesday so this could be this could be unfortunate um the the game itself is there something Cal can do in this game or you expect them to do in this game to try to keep this thing manageable or what gives them the best shot yeah i mean the 
you, you saw last week against Washington where they kind of just kind of forced Oregon to Washington to drive down the field but didn't let them score. Um, it was 6 nothing at halftime, and then they kind of hung around for most of the game. I mean, that's their best shot is just to force a lot of yards but not a lot of touchdowns, um, make, it, make it a very manageable game in front of them, like force Oregon to dinking and dunking, not making too many like deep throws, and just have to hope that they can win by paper cuts and win a very low-scoring, low-variant sort of game. The only issue I think Cal faces is that they, they have trouble scoring. Like, they haven't hit 30 points since opening week. They haven't played. They haven't scored. Well, they, they, except against Arizona, but, like, they haven't scored more than three points in the last three half, first half they've played. They've scored three points against Washington State. They've scored zero against Colorado, zero against Washington. And if they, had, if they do that again against Oregon, they're toast. They have to score to start the game, and they have to score pretty quickly to maintain pace. One of the big issues going on in the background with the Pac-12 conference is the UC Regents meeting coming up in November. Uh, UCLA, obviously, as our listeners know, along with USC, trying to leave this conference. Um, how does that Regents meeting in your world, uh, how is it shaping up? Uh, what, is, what is Cal hoping for? What's the outcome that you expect? Do you have your, your finger on the pulse of the UC system better than we do? Yeah, I think it's it's a pretty complex situation because you have UCLA kind of unilaterally deciding to leave the conference without consulting anyone inside the state, and that's ruffled a lot of political feathers um, inside the, the, the state um, from the governor. Like, the governor made a statement. Governor Newsom made a statement expressing significant displeasure. You have people inside the regions who are pretty loyal to UC Berkeley who don't are not huge fans of UCLA just going off and trying to make revenue on their own. So I think I think this next meeting in mid-November is going to be pretty crucial. I, I It's still unclear whether anything will happen, but it's clear that there's a lot of unhappy people um, inside, the, inside the political offices of the, of the California public system. Um, I think Cal is not going to say anything. I think what they are aiming for is trying to find what, is, what makes the most sense for them financially, obviously. Cal has significant athletic debt from the Memorial Stadium renovation that's still ongoing, um, that they're still trying to pay off debt-wise. So they're looking for, I think, what makes the most sense for them financially. Obviously, Cal would love to get an invite to the Big Ten. I think Oregon and Washington have also explored that. Um, Stanford, I think, has also put out some feelers in that in that way. I think it's just a matter of, like, what what – um, will make some best sense for them financially. So they're just keeping their cards close until the regents make their decision as to what goes on with UCLA. And I think UCLA is still probably going to end up in the Big Ten. It's just going to be a matter of whether there's any financial rec- rec- recompense. Yeah, I think you know, I think UCLA is a little worried about the financial part of it. I initially had said, you know, would UCLA pay a subsidy? And then someone in the UC system reached out to me and said, no, they won't want. UCLA to be writing a check to to uh, UC Berkeley, they'll want uh, they'll just not fund them at the same level. Doesn't does that make sense to you, or does that penalize the student body? Does it penalize the academic side of the operation and let the athletic side kind of walk? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the um, the institutional support for UCLA athletics has been a little bit stronger just because of. UCLA has had better success athletically recently. Um, I think Cal is still kind of in this 
existential crisis as to whether they want to be a major athletic player. And we're kind of just, we've just kind of been gliding along with everyone else because we've been in the Pac-10, the Pac-12, and that conference has just kind of generated revenue on its own. But now that now the Big Ten has decided to make this play to become the super conference, um, we're kind of forced into a position where we have to decide whether we want to be part of that game or do we want to opt out of it altogether. Now, there's still hope that the Pac-10 can stay together while well, the new Pac-10 stays together and can can kind of weather that course. But I think considering like how much debt the university still has to um, recover from the stadium renovations um, and all these other athletic programs that Cal is still funding, I think we still have over 30 um, revenue, revenue and non-revenue sports um, on campus. We have to make some decisions as to like what what course can we chart so that we are able to, you know, stay stay in a place. We we need to have like, um, just a kind of financial ability to to, to chart our course, and we we're not going to get that with um with where we are right now. All right, this game coming up Saturday. Um, I don't I I, I don't see a way that Cal wins this game. But how are you? Do you make a prediction at right for Cal? Uh, yeah, I did. I did predict a, a pretty um, steady Oregon victory. I, I do think that because it's in Berkeley, for some reason, Cal has played much better at home uh, the last couple of years than they have on the road. That we can make it uncomfortable for a little bit. And Oregon, obviously, I think, I think you know, after having a major win against UCLA and like charting through like the, uh, a, a significant rebound from the Georgia loss and just like rolling through the schedule, this might be a good place for them to get trip up a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's basically if Oregon comes in and is kind of a little lackadaisical, then yeah, we can we can hang around and probably punch our weight. Um, like Cal still has good skill players. I think Jeremiah Hunter was injured last week. He'll be back this week. Um, Jaden Ott obviously um, has shown he's he's capable. So if we can if we can get some turnovers and you know produce a few weapons, produce a few like. Um, Quick hitting, attacking plays, and we might be able to keep pace for a while. But I think I think Oregon is pretty much um, in position with their offensive line to kind of charge their way to about a two touchdown, two touchdown victory. Vinash Kunath, I appreciate you making time. Hey, you had jury duty. You got out of jury duty. I applaud you for that. Yeah. Did you you get dismissed? Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, that, that's what happens. Was that a difficult thing, or did you just say, "Hey, I uh, I write for write for Cal," and they were like, "Okay, get out of here. You're opinionated." Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of UC Berkeley judges around here, so maybe that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, hey, good luck to you, man. I appreciate what you do, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Take care. All right, there he is. Good stuff. At write for Cal, if you're looking for him on Twitter. Uh, Interesting. Uh, I also don't see any way that, that Cal wins. I just don't see any way that Cal wins this game. We're going to go back through our Pac-12 picks coming up. Plus, uh, you'll get Petros Papadakis from FS1 uh, at 4 o'clock. I want you to leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I got a whole bunch of things to talk about. We're going to talk about the Pac-12. We'll take some phone calls. Big splash. Petros Papadakis at four o'clock. Connor is in Dallas, Texas, and is called in. He's a Utah fan. Connor, what's up, man? Hey, John. How are you? Doing well. Good. 
Hey, a couple of things. Uh, I agree with what you said. There's a lot of tentacles with this. Um, do we know when Whittingham and Rising had that conversation of when he's starting? Because it doesn't seem like, I mean, even if it's 30 minutes before game time, it doesn't seem like Whittingham is like, oh, the first thing I need to do is contact FF1 right. or whoever there. Yep. Um, I, I was told that it was, uh, it was under 20. It was under 20 minutes before kickoff. So the team was already back, apparently gone back into the locker room. Yeah, so Whittingham just doesn't strike me as a guy that really cares a lot about anything but football. So uh, I had I thought about that, and then secondly, I, I mean, Fox is a little upset about this, but at the same time, Fox kind of went behind the Pac-12 and everyone. Uh, if, if we're assuming they led, you know, the media rights still changes yeah. in the summer, and so I don't know. Those two points kind of mm-hmm. hit hit home for me. But just curious what your thoughts are. Thanks. For yeah, the it's call. a good it's a good point. I think there's bad feelings. Um, I I have heard from. I have heard from now three ADs in the conference. Two of them have reached out to me on commercial breaks of this show to tell me how unhappy they are with FS1 in different ways. And uh, it's really interesting to get those phone calls. And they are three ADs not in the Pacific Northwest. So it narrows it down for you. I don't want to out who these people are because – they're just calling to, to vent and give their opinion. But the the phone calls kind of go like this. Don't even get me started with FS1. That, that's what the phone call starts with, with all three of them. And then they get started on FS1 and how unhappy they are. Uh, I agree on the Kyle Whittingham front. Like, he's laser-like focused. He's focused. And, and my point in writing the column is not to criticize Utah. It's not – like – I don't know if I'm Kyle Whittingham, if I would have done anything different. My point is not to call out the sports information department at Utah, because how are they supposed to know? Like, it's not their job to make that decision. They're just the conduit. You know, they are the relay. So uh, it's not them. Um, I think FS1, the broadcasters themselves, are in a bad position because they don't have good information. So, I, you know, my point is to call out them. My point, I guess, is to raise the question... Like, does the college football program owe anyone information prior to kickoff? Do they owe it to TV partners? Do they owe it to gamblers? Do they owe it to opponents? We've seen media rights fees skyrocket. What are the contractual relationships like here? Are they about to get stickier? Like, will the next deal, will will the Pac-12's deal with Amazon have explicit language saying we need to know who the starting quarterbacks are on both teams prior to kickoff? Like, will they have that language in there? And who will get that information? It's really interesting stuff. Guys, we'll go into the Pac-12 picks in the 4 o'clock hour. But I want to put this to rest just by saying that uh, last night's game, I did pick it correctly, but I don't feel good about it. I kind of feel like I uglied my way into a win. I just thought Washington State playing at home would play Utah close enough so that Utah would not cover the spread. And when I saw Cam Rising wasn't playing, i got to be honest, I went, oh, uh, I would have changed my pick. Uh, I would have picked Utah or Washington State to win the game outright at home with no Cam Rising playing. Come on. But um, I thought the officiating last night, there were a couple of targeting calls that I felt like both fan bases were upset. And and where do you guys stand? What do you guys make of targeting right now in college football? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be a Pac-12 game without a targeting controversy. Like That, <laughs> that was my first thought. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, it's going to happen in the Pac-12 game. Um, You know, it's a tough call because – at the same, we want people to be safe, but at the same time, we want it to be football. So I think, I think we've gone a little bit too far in the way of safety, which sounds terrible to say out loud. But I really feel like we've gone almost too far 
and now they're being ultra conservative and throwing more targeting out that needs to be called. If that makes sense. I mean, isn't there, there's like the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And we've gone way too far into the letter. Like, keep players safe. Absolutely. We need to do that. But some of these, I mean, they're not even big time hits. It's just, well, technically I saw just the top of his crown. He's gone. It's it's absurd. Yeah, I mean, I had Utah in the game and that the call right by the goal line before the first half ended. Like, I didn't even agree with that call. And it's like, I was rooting for Utah because I wanted him to win. I had him in the game. So, like, I'm with Peter. Like, it's the letter of the law, yeah, but at the same time, it's not the spirit of the game. I think um, I think it's a bad rule, and but I think they called the rule correctly. If they're calling it by the rule book, that that I could see. Okay, yeah, was it? Were they leading with the crown? Yeah, was there helmet to helmet? Yeah, you know. I but I think it's a bad rule because I think I think what they're trying to do is give us all the illusion that they care about player safety. And then they're using this rule to kind of look, well, see, we care about player safety, but there's lots of ways where they don't care about player safety. And I think, so I think all in all, like, I think they need to take a look at the rule. And I also think, um, I don't like, like, the fact that the players are missing multiple times. I almost feel like it should just be 15 yards uh, because after these two calls are, are made, the players aren't even tackling. There were a couple of plays where I like, uh, I'm like, these guys are afraid to tackle right now, and I think it's kind of ruining the game in that respect. Uh, we got a World Series starting. We'll talk about that later in the show. We also are going to talk with Petros Papadakis. He's coming up next. He is the FS1 broadcaster who was on the game last night. He will uh, tell us his side of the story and give us a tour inside what it's like to be a broadcaster on a game like that and uh we'll get a we'll get a talk with him and then we will give our picks for the rest of the pac-12 games later in the show we'll talk about uh oregon's path to the college football playoff i'm gonna ask petros about the stuff that was said on the halftime broadcast last night by emmanuel echo he basically said he can't forget oregon's opening week loss what does petros have to say about that leave it here B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. If you watched the FS1 broadcast last night, uh, you watched one of my favorite broadcasters, Petros Papadakis, was on the call, Utah-Washington State. I wrote about this earlier today. It was a big fiasco at the beginning of the game. Cam Rising, we all expected him to go onto the field. So did the broadcast crew. Here to talk about it is Petros. Uh, give me an idea. Take us through real time. Let's just go back to that moment when kickoff happens and you're, you know, you're settling in to call this game. <laughs> uh, well, it was an adventure, you know, and and we're not uh, uh, foreign to adventures. I mean, we see this kind of stuff. Uh, we have the crazy transfer portal and teams that are really in peril, like Colorado State, Nevada, where you have to identify, you know, a will backer or something like that that you didn't know was going to start and they didn't tell you. So that kind of stuff happens all the time. But a game of this magnitude and a player of that magnitude with no indication that he wasn't going to start the game, who went through all the warm-ups, in fact, one of our open elements was him warming up for the game and then suddenly uh when it's time to run the quarterback out you know we do this big thing where you run the quarterback out they run the first play and then you get to the lineups if something big doesn't happen that's kind of the procedural way 
that we start off a drive in a college football game, uh, Cam Rising wasn't out there. And our director's freaking out looking for Cam Rising. And suddenly he's in a yellow vest and on the sideline with a headset on. And never before has, has that happened where we just had zero indication. So once we got Bryson Barnes identified, which was quite quickly, and got to start telling his story of, of his very first start and uh, kind of sort of tried to piece together what was going on, uh, we got up and running at a broadcast as a broadcast. But I think you could tell kind of our palpable shock uh, in the moment when, when, uh, when Cam didn't take the field. Yeah, I know. I texted you. Your phone had to be blown up with people going, oh, what the hell's going on? I didn't know Phil Savage had my number. <laughs> so so help, let's take a step back, because I think the average listener, maybe there's a public yeah, service in this. Yeah, there's a public service in this. All right. So there's a difference. Like, I don't expect if I'm covering Utah for Utah to tell me a damn thing, because there's no advantage for them to have it out there. Like, they won't. they don't want Washington State to know who's starting at quarterback. But what's the difference in your mind? between what I'm doing covering a game and what you're doing on a broadcast? Well, I mean, what we're doing a broadcast is we're basically showcasing and celebrating the event. You know, things I say on the radio are not things I would ever say on a broadcast. Things you say on television in a studio setting are not the same things you would say in a broadcast. You're basically in partnership with the conference and the teams to try to help put on a show. Now, as an analyst, I'm honest, and I say if I don't like something. But you always kind of have a celebratory tone, and I always have. That's been my style. And in college football, you know, there's a fine line between the entitlement of a broadcaster and what the schools should or have to tell you. But in my experience, you know, we've had these meetings for years and years. We pay for exclusive rights meetings to where the director, the producer, the play-by-play, and the color guy, which is me, and sometimes the assistant director, all jump on a call with the head coach, the OC, and the defensive coordinator, and sometimes players. And some coaches are different. They won't let their coordinators talk, and they do all the talking. Uh, Troy Calhoun is that way. And some programs just play it really close to the vest. But as far as the starting quarterback like Cam Rising, I, usually, if something that dramatic is going to happen, even if we didn't get the heads up in the meeting, which, you know, is kind of like you wasted your time in the meeting. Yeah. But, okay, but even if you didn't get the heads up in the meeting, you should get a call from the sports information director, basically the PR department, uh, before the game, just so we can run out the right kid with the right graphics and the right celebration and get that moment right for that young man in this moment in Utah football history with a new starter coming out. And none of that happened uh, in this uh, in this sequence. So it, it was kind of a scramble to get it figured out. But I can't say it didn't add to the intrigue of the game. It certainly did. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I thought you guys handled it well. I, uh, you know, we've all, <laughs> even, you know, in the course of a radio show, we're always dealing with, um, you know, uh, the unexpected, right? Uh, and but But what you don't expect is not to see Cam rising there. And and give us an idea. Let's go back to those meetings you have. So you know the game's on a Thursday. Are you having you're having this meeting on a Wednesday? Is that right? Uh, we met and they were. Uh, we did a Zoom and they were in the hotel already. And look, that's a tough trip. We all know about it. And we all know if you can't get a hotel in Pullman or Moscow, you have to stay in Lewiston. So you're extra pissed off. So they were 
you know, an hour and a half or whatever from campus in a hotel, and they were trying to get to their coaches' meetings, and we had an hour. And But we talked to everybody. I mean, I've met with Kyle Whittingham, I don't know, 40 times yeah. <laughs> in the last 20 years or something ridiculous like that. And he's great, and I have a great deal of respect for him and his program, and I hope it always comes across on our broadcast that I do. Uh, but they just decided to keep us in the dark on this one, whether it was intentional or not, and it, it led to a wild beginning of the game. All right, so after the game, reporters uh, asked Whittingham about it. He says, you know, Cam warmed up, Cam couldn't go. Uh, if he can't go, he can't go. In the backup, uh, Barnes also said, hey, I learned in the pregame, customarily what would happen there? Is, is that just somebody on the staff, you know, maybe the, maybe the uh, operations guy going – Hey, SID, let the broadcast crew know Rising's not playing. Or How does that happen? Well, normally, in my experience, like the SID would call the truck. Or, you know, a lot of the time, since I'm really involved in a lot of this stuff, they call me. And we get the information out like that. You know, we have all kinds of ways of getting information. There's local people, you know. Like, that's the one thing we love about football, right? It's not streamlined. Right. It's college football. Nothing is. And injuries is part of it. And if you want things streamlined, you probably don't like college football. So, you know, I'm not I'm not fit to throw a temper tantrum about right. this because we always have, you know, variables and crazy stuff. But the protocol would be, yeah, to, to let the broadcast know. Not, not so we can tell company secrets or leak out information, simply so we can get it right for the moment. And that just didn't happen this time. And for me, I, I, you know, I, I want to, there are, there are play by play guy who's new to our package and all of these things. And, you know, when you start out a game like that, it's, it's pretty wild. But, but like you said, I hope uh, we recovered ourselves up to the action. And I thought Bryson did a great job in a tough uh, battle. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you guys did. And, you know, I, I, I always, I always like, watching you and listening to you because I feel like you're real, right? And you say, like, if you see something you don't like, you'll say it. And I could tell when you said, you said you gave this this quote during this during the broadcast, you said they, they didn't keep it close to the vest, they kept it under their skin. And I could tell that Petros was a little miffed, but you were biting, you were being professional and you were just basically going, you know, hey, we learned well, when look, you learned. It doesn't just happen. I mean, maybe it does, and perhaps I'm naive. Maybe it's been too long since I've been actually looking through a face mask. But I've there had to be some indication that he was not feeling great and that there was a possibility that he was not going to start. And if you don't tell us that in the meeting, then we need to know it before the game just so we can get the camera on the right kid. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, that's really just the bottom line. Uh, I mean, I don't care about all the research that goes into it and all that stuff. I mean, it's college football. The game starts and half of it goes out the window right. for the players, the coaches, and the broadcasters and the writers. And and so that's all understandable. This was just, you know, I've done this for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, that was a, that was a first, Did, you know. And I've been in conference. I've been in conference USA for a couple of years at the bottom. You know, we, you don't know who's playing, but you usually know the starting quarterback. Are there coaches, uh, maybe some notorious coaches, who will intentionally wait? Because you know, a lot of these coaches, Petros, they try to they try to act like they got a state secret. You know, yeah, Gundy, Gundy's that way. Really, I, uh, and he had, a, you know, I mean that, and that's notorious. Everybody knows that, and he's got a great sports information guy who 
is a really good kind of mediator and go-between. And I, I'll never forget, you know, Spencer Sanders is playing great football. He's at a high level, and he's been playing there a long time. His very first whatever, you remember, it was against Oregon State at uh, Corvallis. And maybe two minutes before kick, Gavin, the SID, came into the booth and was like, it's going to be Spencer Sanders, guys. Thank you for bearing with us. Sorry that it had to be this way. That's how Coach wanted it. You know, and we go down and we tell the truck, hey, it's Spencer Sanders. We fawn him. We get him. We get him on the run out. There's Spencer Sanders' very first start at Oklahoma State, one of their best quarterbacks ever. And we were able to document it correctly because that guy told us right before the the kick, even though they wanted to keep it close to the vest. So, so even with somebody who's notoriously difficult, like Mike Gundy, I don't think anybody would argue that. Uh, and I like Mike. I, I like his teams. Uh, even with that, uh, we still would get the heads up back in the day. So, well, I mean, that's, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And it, so, what do you think? What do you think was going on here? Do you think they just didn't want Washington State to know and? They weren't thinking at all about the broadcast, and, and they just went about football business. You know, and I'm wondering, you know, have they reached out and have they apologized? No, no, no. I mean, uh, uh, the, the SID did. and I mean, the coaches have bigger fish to fry than these guys, not to sound like Harbaugh. But these guys, uh, they stay up all night, you know, yeah. uh, worried about whether the phone's going to ring if one of their, you know, 100 kids are in trouble or one of their family members or one of their uh, coaches or the, the staff's family members. I mean, these guys have a great deal of responsibility, and I don't take that for granted. And I don't take the access to the coaches for granted either. But, yeah, I, 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 you know, at best I think it was just a miscommunication and a mistake that happened. And the only reason it's interesting to talk about the next day is because procedurally, I think it's interesting for some people to understand how some of this stuff works. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by you know we're learning how the sausage is made in television right now. Uh, <laughs> Petros Papadakis, FS1, is with us. Uh, hey, take a look at the conference for us. You've seen some of these teams, most of these teams, you know them a little bit. Uh, what do you, what do you who do you think is going to go to Vegas? Who who are the best two teams and you know down the stretch here? Man, I tell you, the biggest mystery going into the year was Oregon. Right, and they look like Oregon. And I talked to Mike Aliotti about this. I talked to some of the UCLA coaches about it, and I'm just really impressed. I did the Oregon-Stanford game uh, with a lot of help from you, and I, I just uh, I enjoyed watching them. They attack, attack, attack. Uh, I love the running back, uh, all four of them really, but I love Bucky Irving. I, I just absolutely love the balance that he has. and how he takes it personally that the first guy is not going to get him down. And that's a real thing. And Bo Nix has been great. I think that first game uh, against Stanford is really where he started to exploit, you know, his legs and it added just an almost undefendable element to this offense. So love what Oregon's doing. And it's hard to say they're not the best going right now. I think Washington is, you know, lurking around because they have a great offense, you know, and, a lot of these just going to be in a score fest like Oregon and UCLA were. I think UCLA is still dangerous. USC is still dangerous. Uh, Utah beat themselves to pieces there. You know, I mean, Rising's obviously beat up. Dalton Kincaid went out last night. Keithy's out for the season. They're having some serious issues with their running backs. Two of them weren't even on the trip. And that wasn't easy to extract that information either. <laughs> so, uh, 
you know, I'm not sure if Utah's going to be able to finish the way they wanted to, but, but Oregon State is a really good team, you know, looming out there. And Trent Bray is just doing an amazing job coordinating defense. And I love Jonathan Smith's play calling. So it's a real, it's a toss up. But I think right now, if you'd ask me, you know, maybe they need to improve a tick on defense, but you could say that about USC and UCLA too. But I think Oregon's in the driver's seat. All right. So on the half uh, halftime show last night, I'm going to play this clip for you. Is Emmanuel Ako said that he can't get that Oregon Georgia game out of his mind. I'm going to try to play this for you here. I remember watching that 49 to three beatdown. I don't care when it was. I don't care who it was against. If you lose by seven touchdowns, mm. seven touchdowns it's hard to get over that i don't care how long it's been whereas if usc were to run the table that assumes they beat ucla Uh that assumes they would beat oregon i actually i'm with coach Uh all the way up until the last game i think usc would need to be the program he's saying basically the committee won't be able to get by oregon's loss where do you stand on that that first impression you know, I mean, that's what those guys do, though, right? I mean, they sit there and argue about the playoffs, you know, before <laughs> Halloween. Yeah. And, you know, it's their job. That's what they're asked to do. Yeah. Uh, I find that work you know, just very tedious. <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, because there's always a whataboutism involved and what about this and what about that and what if this happens and you just end up, you're just killing time. Right. Which is, I guess, what we're doing right now. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I mean, what he says sounds very feasible. I mean, if USC runs the table and then beats Oregon, sure, they'd have a chance, but it's going to be an uphill climb for anybody in the conference because we don't have any undefeated teams, and we all know that. Uh, we all knew that back in August, so saying it now is not some kind of revelation. I don't really know uh, if the first game, like to me, and, and Emmanuel knows, he's, yeah a football man and you know to me the first game is your your identity is not even intact yeah you know you have 30 year old 30 year old coordinators you know you're you're brand new you're brand new to the place you're in a hostile environment yeah they got beat and yeah it probably will come back to bite them at the end of things if they do run the table and it's hard to imagine that in our modern pac-12 anybody really doing that down the stretch in october and november we haven't seen it in a while so I mean, I mean, I think Oregon's great. Uh, I, uh, you know, I didn't watch that game. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I was like deep in the Mountain West that day. But you know, but uh, but uh, I mean, they they just sit there. They all just sit there and pick and choose different games and make an example out of them. And I guess that's what they do in the committee meetings too. But uh, I, I think Oregon's a great team. I think they represent the conference well. And that is dependent on if they continue to grow. I think their defense needs to make some steps here yeah. if we're going to have that conversation at all. Yeah, I love that. All right, uh, I'm going to cut you loose. I'll come on your show anytime. I appreciate you. And uh, do you know who I you was ha- thinking about yeah. today? But I got a, uh, I got Don McLean in to do basketball. So let's okay. do next week. Hope next week, well, whatever you need, man. I appreciate you. And what, what games do you have next week? You got? Do you know yet, or is that well, to be determined? I have a, well, I have a game tomorrow. Okay. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I have the battle for the old oil can now. Come on. Uh, Fresno hosting San Diego State. Ooh. And, yeah, we might have another quarterback mystery. Maybe Jake Kander will just run out there with a cape on for <laughs> Halloween and rip it off. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to that. And then on, uh, and then I, I only have one game next week, and that would be uh, BYU. 
hmm. at uh, at Boise. Last time I did that one, the governor of uh, Utah attacked me on Twitter. So oh, great. It's always fun. <laughs> Let's go. Petros Papadakis, follow him on Twitter, at uh, the old P. Petros, thank you. Thank you, John. There you go. That's why you come to the show. We go behind the scenes. Uh, I want to know how, does that upset you? Uh, you know, what, what Utah did, if your team did that, is it is that by is that playing outside the rules, or is that just competition? Sounds to me like Utah probably was more worried about Washington State and just forgot about the broadcast. But I don't blame FS1. I don't blame Petros if they're disappointed with that. I want you to leave it here. I'll take your phone calls on that subject. Did Utah break a rule? Did they do something they shouldn't have done by not letting the FS1 broadcast or? Is it so minor in your mind that you go, eh, who cares, first world problem? I think there's a fine line between entitlement and, you know, what we're talking about here. You've got the home of the truth. The phone number is 503-417-7575. I'll take your phone calls. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. So a couple of things to unpack here. Um, talk, every commercial break, I have talked to a different Pac-12 university on this show. I appreciate everybody across the footprint who is tuned into this radio show. Um, it, really interesting uh, to get the viewpoints. I think the truth's somewhere in the middle. I think it has a lot of tentacles, and I think it's a perfect radio topic because there's no singular answer to it. Uh, who got it right? Who got it wrong? Everybody could have done better. Everybody could have done worse. Uh, you know, what do they owe you? But the bottom line is that the viewer on a college football game or an NFL game, I think the viewer is getting hosed. But I think when you walk into like a medical office, you know how they have like the patient's rights on the wall and you look and you go, the patient has a right to this, has a right to that. You know, there should be some viewer rights out there. The viewer on a college football broadcast, has a right to have more than six cameras inside the stadium. The viewer uh, should have the broadcast crew present in the stadium. There should be a sideline reporter as well. The viewer should feel like they are at the stadium, like the quality of the cameras, the production truck, all of that stuff. We, you know, I, Maybe I should publish the viewer's rights uh, in front of the Pac-12 making a deal with a new media entity. What else would we include in that? And you guys got any suggestions on the viewer rights? Like, what else is the viewer entitled to on a sporting event? Because the colleges are getting money. The TV networks are getting product and inventory to sell their commercials. They're making money on that. What's the viewer getting? Yeah, I think uh, what you said was the bare minimum, right? Like, enough cameras... Uh, have the have the broadcasters there at the stadium at the arena. I think those are just the two bare minimums that you need as a as a viewer because we've seen a product when they're not there and it's definitely not as good. Like you can tell, even if it's like, you know to an untrained ear, you can tell when they're not there. They'll make little subtle mistakes. Yeah. And all the broadcasters, if you talk to them, they want to be there. They want to be at the stadium. They want to feel the atmosphere. So I think at the minimum, John, those are the two. You know, I'm having a hard time thinking of a third one, but like. 
I mean, there's obviously. I got one. Okay, Peter, go for it. Man, the third one, it's not related to the broadcasters themselves. I agree with those. I want the guys on site. But, man, it's not just the minimum number of cameras. Can we get cameras that broadcast in a resolution that came out after 1998? I cannot <laughs> handle 720p broadcasts. Yeah. Everyone has 65-inch TVs. It looks like a broadcast from 1982, and it's garbage. Where's the 4K, let alone HD? There you go. I like that. Yeah, it is bad. The uh, quality of the it has to do with the production trucks. ESPN said they fixed it, but I'm seeing some of that on the FS1 broadcast as well. Uh, just not great. It you know there you you need good technology. You need good cameras. You need good. Uh, you need a good truck. You need uh, you need the people to be inside the stadium. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this. I think I am gonna publish like the viewers guide to uh, the viewer's guide to a Pac-12 or a college football game. Like, what are the rights of a viewer? David's on the freeway. David, what's on your mind? Well, I I think it's a cop-out in terms of what the coach did. Yeah. You can't uh-huh. say the coach has got a responsibility for 100 kids. He knows that the information should have been broadcast or given to the TV announcers, and he can't trust them. That's a different issue. But... That reminds me of a coach that did that in the NCAAs about a big player that was out. And I think the issue was whether or not in the first round he was going to be have the home game or not. It wasn't just he didn't want to tell the other side that his tanner or big man was out. It was an issue, and he admitted it, that he thought he might lose the, 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 the home court advantage if he said his big guy was out. And I think that's almost ethical to that point. Yeah, and I don't think it's a mistake. I think it was done intentionally. Yeah, I think you know, like the long-standing policy of Kyle Whittingham at Utah, and let's go back to Chip Kelly at Oregon, and maybe even Mario Cristobal to some extent. They, you know, none of those guys like to talk about injuries. Whittingham, in his 18 years there, I don't think he's ever talked about an injury, so I don't think it's unusual that he wouldn't publicly disclose an injury. But I think here's the thing. I think the whole thing has raised a great discussion on the topic. Like, I get it there, you know, if I'm Utah, I probably don't love that this this becomes a story. If I'm FS1, I probably don't love that Petros is out talking about it. Um, uh, you know, I spoke with uh, Utah's football SID during one of the commercial breaks, and I told her, like, I don't blame her. Like, she didn't know either. Jordy Lindley did not know that Cam Rising wasn't going to start. She found out when everybody else found out. It's not her fault. I honestly think what happened is Kyle Whittingham and his staff, like I think they intended to start Cam Rising, so I think they were being authentic on Wednesday in that meeting. And I think uh, he found out in you know late in the inside of 20 minutes to go for the game that they're not. And at that point, his focus is probably on getting the backup ready to play. He's not thinking about the broadcast crew, and why isn't he thinking about the broadcast crew? Why would he? They're not in the stadium. There's no sideline reporter. He doesn't see them before the game. He's, they're not in his mind. The football game's on his mind, and winning that football game and leaving Pullman with a W is on his mind. And so he doesn't think to pass that information along. probably doesn't even occur to him. And I think he probably, after the game, recognized, like, oh, crap, I caused a problem, and I probably caused a problem in particular for – you know, my own sports information staff. So I think uh, I think in the end, like, he probably learned something from it. I think uh, Petros was really disappointed, as, you know, as you could hear in that interview. He was 
he's disappointed, but he also is aware that, let's be real, the Utah football program has been through some stuff in the last couple of years that makes all of this like first world problem stuff. Like they've had players die, okay? They've had issues in the program. Like this isn't like, you know, for when we look at the context and the big picture, this isn't the most devastating thing that Utah has dealt with. Uh, and so I think in the end, like, if you're FS1, maybe you learn that you need to be in the stadium, you need to have a sideline reporter there. If you are Utah, maybe you learn that, um, you know, the coaching staff probably should be thinking about the broadcast partner. And if you're the Pac-12, what you want is a showcase event. You want better cameras, better coverage. You don't want the uh, fumbling broadcast at the beginning with people trying to figure out, you know, why isn't the starting quarterback the star of that team there? Um, you know, there was part of me that liked the authenticity of listening to two broadcasters, surpri- genuinely surprised that Cam, Redding, Cam Rising wasn't there. But there was also part of me going, this isn't great for the Pac-12. This is not a showcase moment for the Pac-12 conference. And and I think in the end, like, there's no perfect answer. There's no, But I, I hope everyone learns from it. And um, I hope that, like, the parties that are involved in it, like, their feelings aren't hurt by it because I think – it's totally understandable what happened, and that's what makes it a perfect discussion is that you know, no matter who this is happening to, FS1 could have done better. Utah could have done better. You know, it, like the viewer, it's not the viewer's fault. It's not even the sports information director's fault. I just think if you're Kyle Whittingham, the next time this comes up, I think it would occur to him or his football operations person, hey, we better give a heads up to the SID who could tell the broadcast partner. And maybe FS1 will start sending some people on the road for games instead of having them broadcast the games from Los Angeles and, you know, green screen behind them. Uh, Up next, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 weekend, the rest of the Pac-12 weekend. Oregon Cal, who you got? Will Stanford win again or not? And what about USC Arizona? How about UCLA? Who's playing for what? We talk about it next. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, let's talk some football. Talked enough about the sausage being made. Let's talk about the actual sausage, the football games. Football games this week. Uh, we got one in the books. By the way, I'm 1-0. I had uh, Utah 31-27 over Washington State. It ended up 21-17. So I was only off by 20 points, but I had the differential right, so I end up pretending that I'm a winner. Uh, I would have won with the spread, so I'm 1-0. I should quit right now. No, I shouldn't. I should move to Vegas. No, I shouldn't. I should just give my pick for the Oregon Cal game. That's what I should do. Just double down. That's what you got to do. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's go for – what's the correct parlay? Where does it start getting dicey when you start – parlaying games one tying one game to another so to speak uh what is the right parlay where does it start getting stupid well i think uh the, the it starts getting stupid when you start parlaying all the time like that's yeah that's where they get you that's that's where they get you because you know it's like oh i only gotta get two games right that's easy and i get paid you know two and a half oh easy and then you know your team gets backdoor covered and you lose yeah you don't want to parlay a bunch of games together no, but no. uh all right let's start with oregon cal that'll be the first game Tomorrow, tomorrow's Saturday? Already? Yes, is this sir. happening? This is happening? The week's over? 
damn, where did it go? Well, it's fall now. The weather has turned for sure. Yeah. I, I feel like it should be about Wednesday, <laughs> but I'm not complaining. Oregon's at Cal Saturday, 1230 kickoff, FS1. Uh, I'm going to give my pick first, then I want you guys to go. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Cal appears to play Oregon tough. They split the last two meetings, but... You heard the uh, comments uh, from Emmanuel Echo uh, in that last interview. You know, he went all in on Oregon, kind of just saying it doesn't matter who they played they lo- or where they played. They lost by seven touchdowns. He can't get over it. Um, you know, Dan Lanning talking about Jack Plummer. He thinks he's a real accurate passer. Maybe Cal plays up for this game, but Oregon's favored by 17. And I think Oregon's got too much to play for. I have Oregon covering the 17 points, 38-17, Oregon over Cal. Yeah, I'm pretty confident in this one. I think Oregon, uh, they can name their number this week against Cal. You know, This is a spot where Wilcox has been good as an underdog at home where you're not really expecting much out of him. But I just think this Duck offense is so good that they can put up about 40 everywhere. So that means is Cal going to score 24 points? I-, I don't see that happening with that offense the way they've been this season. So uh, I'm going to take Oregon and I'm going to lay the points. Yeah, Peter, Peter what do you got? I'm right there with you. I think Bo Nix, Bucky Irving, they're dialed in. They're going to handle business. Uh, 42-17, Oregon. Where, at what number would Cal start to look interesting to you guys? I that, I started wrestling with that because I don't think 17 is enough points. But, there, you know, if it got to 21, I might look at Cal. 21 is probably the number for me. Yeah, if it got to 21, I would start thinking the other way. 24, I would take Cal for sure. Uh, but, yeah, I think 21 because, you know, I think Oregon's going to put up and maybe this is naive of me, but I, I think Oregon's going to put up 40 basically against every single opponent this year. Wow. That's how good their offense has been. And so, you know, that means they have to score 20 points. I, it's going to be tough for Cal to do that. So, yeah, I mean, 17, I could see that. But you get to 21, that's tough. Prolific. The best Oregon offense since Chip Kelly era, you guys think? I think so. Yeah. USC's at Arizona, 4 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks. Arizona's going to score in this game. Wildcats are at home. Uh, I think this game's going to be closer than the point spread for that for those reasons. The spread's 15-and-a-half. I think Arizona's going to score 31 points. I think USC's going to win the game, but Arizona plus 15-and-a-half is the call. Uh, USC wins the game 42-31. I agree with you. I, I think Arizona somewhat stays in the game, but USC's going to win. You, know, you look back at when Oregon played Arizona, they put up 44 against them. I think USC does the same type of thing. But I think Arizona can score a little bit more on this USC defense just because they're going to be a little more excited as you talk about. Like These are the games where these kids at Arizona, they wanted to go to USC. So they get extra hype for that. I think Arizona keeps it uh, within the number, so I take Arizona. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I've got USC 42, Arizona 28. Shockingly, that's uh, that's the under the, uh, I think it's 75 for yeah. this game. So we're going to see some offense. I uh, I think a bunch of points, highly entertaining. I'm going to watch that game, 4 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks. Arizona State's at Colorado, Saturday, 4.30. Colorado's selling tickets, guys. They had like 38,000 tickets sold already uh, yesterday for this game, and I don't understand why the Colorado fans keep showing up, but they do. They love their football team. They're diehards. I can't wait until they have a winning team again, but they have a historically bad offense. They're averaging 13.7 points per game. There are five games to go. Now, the, here's the number. They have to they have to score 111 points in those five games to beat the all-time low for points scored. That's that would be the record for lowest scoring average in the conference. That record is held by Arizona, who averaged 17.2 points per game last season. 
So Colorado needs 111 points in the next five games. That's 22.2 per game. I don't think they're going to get there. Uh, I think they're going to get 20 in this game. Arizona State is going to beat them 31-20. But the problem is Arizona State is favored by 13.5, so I'm taking Colorado in the points. Yeah, I mean, this is a hold your nose and just hope that they stay within the number. But <laughs> yeah, how can they average 22 a game when they haven't scored 22 all season? The most they've scored is 20 points a game, like in any game this whole season. One was against Cal in overtime. The other was against Arizona. Not a great defense, but I'm with you. Like, I don't think Arizona State should be favored by 13 and a half over any Pac-12 school, no matter how bad they are. Like, they haven't proven anything. They're 2-5, and five, and you said it. They're selling tickets at Colorado. That atmosphere against Cal was actually a really good atmosphere for the home team in Colorado. I think they're going to bring it again. For some reason, they are they're rallying around uh, Coach Sanford and the Buffaloes now, now that they got rid of uh, Carl Durrell. I think Colorado stays within the number. Uh, slight chance for an upset, but I do think Arizona State wins. Uh, see, I disagree. I... I, I... <laughs> This is a bad football team. I know they got their bounce back win. Every team wins when they have a new coach. I know they beat Cal, but look, man, they put up 20 against Cal, but look, seven against Minnesota, 17 against UCLA, nine against the Beavers. Uh, You know, Arizona State is averaging 29 this year, 28 to 13 Arizona State. Look at you. Uh, Arizona State is a mystery. It's the interim coach bowl, by the way, as well. That's one Keep- of those games, though, John, where it's like you could tell after the first quarter maybe Peter's going to be right on. It's like 21-0 or something <laughs> like that. Arizona State, you know? And you're like, oh, cool. Should have gone Arizona State. Yeah. I mean, truly, no one wins in this game. You know what? I, I, you know what I think? That whoever loses between us and Peter should have to watch Colorado next week. <laughs> that, that would be the losing penalty. Have to sit through Colorado's game. Finally, Stanford's at, Air, at UCLA. This is the nightcap, 7:30 ESPN. This is usually the game that gets me. Stanford has looked good the last like two weeks, maybe almost three weeks. You know, they should have probably beat Oregon State. They didn't. They beat Arizona State. They beat Notre Dame. They seem to be good against teams that can't score points. Problem is, they're playing a team that can score. Uh, UCLA's at home. They're a home favorite. You know how I feel about home favorites. UCLA favored by 16.5. I think they cover that. This one could get ugly, but I'm going to say 38-21 UCLA, but I wouldn't be surprised at 50-21. to Yeah, so Stanford, they're 2-1 in their last three games, John, but their point differential is 2. They've outscored their opponents by 2 points in those 2 wins. Uh, with the one-point loss to Oregon State, they then beat Notre Dame by 2, beat Arizona by Arizona State by 1. So, I I hate to agree with you on all these, but I kind of do. Like I think UCLA names their number against Stanford. That Stanford defense isn't very fast, and UCLA has a lot of playmakers on that offensive side. The one question I have, though, is how does UCLA respond to a loss at Oregon where everyone was watching? They were in the top 10 for the first time in a while. You know, Are they really the number 12 team in the nation? If they are, this is a game where they dominate, and like you said, they win 50-21. to 21. But if UCLA, you know, they come back down to earth and it makes them mad and they're just kind of still thinking about that loss to Oregon and they get beat twice, that's how Stanford stays close. I have faith in Chip Kelly that he gets the team going. Uh, I would take UCLA laying the points. Yeah, see, historically, my view of Stanford clouds my judgment with them. I have to accept that they're just not a good team. And I think you're right, Stephen. I, uh, this is important for UCLA in that way. They do need to bounce back. I think they do. Uh, 42-24 UCLA, they do cover. There you have it. Uh, I think they cover as well. I, uh, look, I'm, I'm on fire right now, and I said this. I wrote it when I write my picks every week. I said the minute I announce that I'm on fire is when I literally turn the opposite direction and I don't do well or I overthink it. 
Um, I try not to analyze too much. I pick a couple of things that matter to me. The home field, I think, matters to me. I, I look at how teams are playing. That matters to me. I look at who's healthy, since we've been on the topic. That matters to me. And then I kind of go a little bit on feel. How do you guys pick games? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a combination of all those. You know, talking about the home team, John, you know, out of the five games, you have four home teams, right? The yeah. only road team you have is Oregon. So uh, I'm with you on that. I was three of the five at home. I think home field matters a lot in the Pac-12, and we've seen that this season. Um, I also just like to see uh, a lot of the passing yards. I think that's how, if you're a, if you're an underdog, that's how you're going to stay in the game is by passing the football and scoring points. Like you have to get on the board somehow. And whether that defense you're going against isn't very good against the pass or you're just a really good offensive team, I think that's how you stay intact. So I, I always try to look at the passing numbers, especially when I'm trying to pick an underdog. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly it. I got nothing to add to that. The rushing yards can be valuable depending on the team, especially on the road. Maybe if the weather's bad, you've got a poor rushing defense, you know, against, uh, you know, say a Zach Charbonnet or something like that. But, yeah, those passing yards for the underdogs critical. There you go. Keep an eye on that. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the World Series. Also, you have uh, Oregon's path to the playoff. Emmanuel Ako saying uh, he can't unsee what he saw in week one. I'll tell you how Oregon makes people unsee it. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, let's talk about what was said in that uh, in that uh, little halftime clip that that you know I played during the uh, interview at four o'clock. Uh, you have Emmanuel Echo, who is a former NFL player, who's part of the broadcast team, uh, and Chris Peterson, the former Washington coach, was on the halftime show as well. And by the way, that whole thing is taped. Did you guys know that? That that whole halftime show is taped? It's not live. There's no reaction to what's happening in the football game. They're not discussing uh, what is going on with, uh, you know, in that game between, uh, you know, Washington State and, and Utah last night. Is that bothering anybody else? Yeah, I feel like that needs to go on the list of uh, things that we want as a, uh, as, as a viewer. Like, Let me write that down. Yeah, live. Yeah. Live halftime show to go with broadcasters at the stadium and, uh, you know, just communicate. Like, yeah, like it does bother me because it doesn't seem like it would be that hard. And even if you, you know, if you can't get the big guys, you know, Chris Peterson, Emmanuel Acho, like to do something live, I'm sure you can find anybody to do it. Like if you're tuning into that game, you want to hear what they're talking about at halftime because there's no other sports going on at that point. Like it's a good way to showcase whoever's there in the studio. So, yeah, it does bother me. You know, you know why they don't want to do it is they don't want to pay them to have to be there. And so what they do is they have them tape that probably last weekend because they are anticipating, hey, we're going to Fox, uh, you know, we're going to have this. You know, I'd be curious to know if they were wearing the same clothes that they were wearing last weekend at halftime of the Oregon-UCLA game. Because it felt to me like it was the same shot. It was just taped. And they probably taped it after the Oregon game. And they said, hey, we're going to air this on, on Thursday's game on FS1. Because the real thing is they should be talking about what happened with Utah and Washington State. Yeah, like that's the game that's being highlighted in the Pac-12. And I think that goes to show, like, again, what we've been talking about with media rights is you need someone in your corner to pump up your conference. And Fox definitely is not pumping up the Pac-12 by any means. 
let's talk a little bit about what he said. He said that uh, there is no uh, there's no path. He can't unforget it. He can't unsee it. Doesn't matter who it came against. Doesn't matter where it was. I do think it matters who it came against. If you lose badly to um, you know, if you lose badly to Washington State, you know, the committee should note that. Like that should matter. Who you play should matter. So. I do think this is one of these things where, you know, the analysts will sometimes say stuff just to say stuff. It matters who you play. It it should, and the committee, the playoff committee in the past has pointed out that they will uh, reward teams that play non-conference schedules. They will also reward conference champions. So if Georgia wins the SEC, and let's just say Georgia continues to embarrass people on the field, I think that bodes well for Oregon. I also think it matters where it was played. That was a road game for Oregon. That game was not played at Autzen Stadium. It not, wasn't even played at a neutral site, if we're being real. It, having that game be in uh, the state of Georgia, um, I was there, okay? It was 85% Georgia fans, 90% Georgia fans inside the stadium. It's a long trip for Oregon. Oregon's getting $4.5 million to play it. It's Dan Lanning's first game. It was a road game. It was a road game against the defending national champions, it was kind of their coming out, let's celebrate last year. It was kind of almost like a victory parade for Georgia. That game was over. The SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, was there. That was a big game. Like, it was huge. So it does matter who they play. It does matter where the game was. And I do think there's a path for Oregon here. But the path, the, the help that Oregon needs first and foremost is they need to go out and take care of business. It's why I kind of think they're going to make a statement with the first playoff selection uh, rankings coming out on Tuesday. What is going to happen right now is this playoff committee is going to be hunkered down this weekend. They're going to be watching. This is the week where they're really going to be watching. Rob Mullins has been the chair of this committee. He came on this show. He talked about how, like, when things got serious and how they watched games and they looked at games together and then they discussed the games later. Like, the committee's going to be watching, and I think the teams know it. And so Oregon going to Cal this week, it's I, I think it's almost ideal. Like the rest of us probably didn't realize who's Oregon playing right before the committee meets. But I bet you Rob Mullins, the athletic director at Oregon, knew. I bet he looked at the schedule and went, who do they play before that first Tuesday when the rankings come out? And he went, Cal. He goes, oh, that's a good one for us. Because there's a chance for Oregon to make a loud statement in Berkeley. And, and, and look, I didn't pick them to do this because I kind of went like, I, you know, I, I think Oregon wins the game going away. I had it 38-17. But this might be a game that could get ugly. This might be Oregon trying to put a 50-burger on Cal and go, look, we want to make a statement and with a road win with 50 points. So keep an eye on that. That's the first thing Oregon needs to do. This is the path to the playoff. Again, Oregon must just continue to win. And then Bo Nix said something this week that I thought was great. He came out, and I said it a week ago. I said, Oregon's going to start talking about how different they are. And I loved it. Bo Nix came out, and he did an interview, and he said, you know, he said, I think if we played Georgia right now, it would be a different game. You know, he basically said that, you know, that there's a, that there's a chance that they could win the game. Um, you know, Bo Nix, uh, you know, told uh, reporters that. Yeah, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports wrote a column saying, you know, Bo Nix thinks that Oregon would beat Georgia if they play today. That narrative has to continue. Oregon has to keep talking that way and keep reminding people how long ago that game was and how much they've changed. You know, they, I don't know if they're going to change people's mind, but they have to keep talking that way. 
The other thing Oregon needs is obviously he needs to go undefeated, needs to win the championship, needs needs to beat USC at the end of the rainbow. And USC, I think, is the most validating program in the eyes of the committee. So I think it needs to be USC in Vegas. And then the other thing Oregon needs is Oregon needs Georgia to blast Florida tomorrow in that game. And Oregon, it would be great if Kentucky could upset Tennessee. It needs some chaos in the SEC. Get some two-loss teams in the SEC. Because I think we're going to see in that initial ranking is you're going to see the SEC have a whole bunch of teams in the top ten. And, you know, Oregon's going to have to clear that path a little bit while taking care of their own business. All right, the 5 at 5 is coming up. We'll play Punch It Audio in the 5 o'clock hour as well. you got the bald-faced truth statewide. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, this week has flown by. It really has. I don't know if it went fast for you. Do you guys ever, have you ever figured out why some weeks tend to go quickly and others drag on? Do you guys have a theory on that or any thoughts? For me, it's always depending on the sleep quality. Like, I, and Stephen can vouch for this. I had a hell of a time this week. I think it was related to the weather change as well. But, you know, you're always trying to reach homeostasis, right? So any little thing that gets off can sort of mess with that. So for you, John, I think you've just had a, a smooth week work-wise. You're taking care of yourself. You got a good night's sleep. And all of a sudden, bam, Friday. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good theory. And yeah, I can vouch. Peter has, uh, you know, he's been on his A game, but he's still struggling a little bit. You know, props to Peter. You know, hats off to him. He's been having a great week. We're good. Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> but, researched this today. But go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go no, ahead. Yeah, I want to hear your theory I first. I was going to say my theory is just kind of on the same lines, but when you're ultra busy, it feels like it's an ultra long week. Like when mm-hmm. you have so much stuff going on, you're doing so much prep work, so much research, that's when the week goes long. Kind of when you got everything flowing and uh, there's really not that much going on, like the Beavers don't play this week. Maybe it's just a little less uh, yeah. research, stuff like that. I think that's why it might have flown by for you. Yeah, maybe that's it because a lot of my days, okay, I have <laughs> I have two, two or three ways of knowing what day it is because I don't have a normal job, okay? Like some people, they know when Monday comes because Monday's the day after they've had two days off. I don't have that. I don't have that kind of rhythm in my week. So I know my week because I know garbage day the garbage truck comes to my house on Wednesday so I have this line of delineation on Wednesday that tells me it's midweek I also know that we have certain interviews on the show that are booked that are normal kind of interviews like Jaden Grant is a Thursday Oregon State Um, typically Jack Coletto is a Tuesday Oregon State guy Um, and uh, and so I'm setting my clock to those uh, things as well but um, Apparently, when people are are not doing as much, they're less distracted and more sensitive to how time is passing. So, or if you are if you are a little bit on the bored side, that's why time seems to drag, and that's why people say time flies. What? When you're having fun. When you're having fun, because you only have a finite amount of attention to give to the world in that time. So if you're focusing on something fun, you're not paying attention to the passing of time. So it appears to move more quickly. The truth is time moves at the same, at a constant rate, right? Or at least we think. But so if you are busy or doing something fun, time appears to move more quickly. 
So I think it's the opposite of I think one of one of you said like kind of the opposite of that. Like I actually think that it's that I'm I feel a little busier and I'm having fun. So it the time tends to go quickly. I'm I find myself multitasking this week. I don't know. That that makes perfect sense. I mean, I've had literally 12-hour days here where it flies by, but uh, back in the previous life, life when I'm sitting in front of an Excel spreadsheet, oh, man, two hours feels like two days. Uh, uh, there's also a, a, a French philosopher, and I'm not even going to try his name, in the 1800s who said that we preserve time, perceive time in the proportion to the length of the time we've been alive. So obviously a five-year-old, views a year as a really long time but an 80 year old views a year as a just a blink so uh, as we get older time should then appear to go faster is mm -hmm. that true like uh so it, time maybe time doesn't move the same speed for us all it definitely speeds up the older you get and i've always heard it's it's because you have fewer novel experiences and which kind of relates back to what you're saying about when something's fun even if you're busy all of a sudden it just rolls through but you know been there done that 60 years old i enjoy things but they're not novel anymore all of a sudden you go man it's been two years it feels like a month yeah, I mean, that's why it's like when kids are bored, it just seems like it's forever for them, right? Like they're doing nothing. And so it's like time goes so slow for them. But when they're actually doing stuff, having fun, yeah, it goes faster. Do you guys, have you guys ever been in a car accident or any kind of traumatic thing where time appears to slow down? Yes, yes. A very serious accident when I was 15. All right. Give me, uh, give me, don't, if it's too traumatic, I want you to go okay. into it. But what? What do you remember about time slowing down in that? Uh, as as it's happening, um, basically, you, it, there's a little bit of the skidding. You know, we kind of yeah. went off the road one way. We're on a rural highway. We went 55-55 into another car, like head on. And, uh, Scary. Yeah, I survived. Not everyone did. And uh, so, you know, you hear the skidding and you look up and you can see it's happening. And, like, I still, I still, it's been almost 30 years. It was 1993. And I, and I still remember, yeah. like, looking to the left at my friend. We were both in the back seat coming back from the baseball card store and seeing his sister who was driving trying to, to overveer. It, it, like, it felt like an eternity. I, I can still picture it today. And, I mean, it took, like, half a second. Okay, so that is a real thing. Like you have this amygdala part of your brain that it that re that remembers negative or fearful experiences. Okay, so it this only happens. It only fires in a negative or fearful experience. Now I've got a theory on why that is. Maybe it keeps. Maybe it's a uh, you know an evolutionary thing that keeps you alive longer. Maybe it's better that that time slows down in fearful experiences so that you can remember what is happening, be attuned to the details, be aware of your environment. It's very vivid, right? You even talked about it. You said like 30 years ago, I can still remember, and you go through these things, but you can't remember like yesterday what you were doing at like 2:15 p.m. Yeah. But you remember that because that is that thing is that track is laid down in your brain. And you have this vivid, evocative memory, right? And so they say the stronger the memory is, or the more negative or fearful it is, the more stretched out time will be as you recall the experience. It's really interesting. I wish it were the opposite. I wish it was like your best memories went slow. Like you're never like in the middle of something going, I'm having the best time, and oh, it appears to slow down like the Matrix. That doesn't happen. So it is perception. But that's an interesting little part of the brain. I'm fascinated by that stuff. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, and you're right. The uh, the very, very memorable, intense, 
imprints, I guess you would say, that are positive, what do you say? Oh, it was it was all just like a blur. You yes. know, it happened so fast. Oh, it happened so fast. It was the best year of my life. Man, it was just a blur. I wish it would have lasted forever. But you get in a uh, car wreck, and it's like, I remember the movie Days of Thunder, and Tom Cruise was in that movie. It was about car racing or whatever, and there was one scene where he, you know, it was evident he was going to get in a, ra- a wreck, and it slowed down. He was almost like, this is going to hurt. And time slowed down for him. And I was like, that actually does happen. I can remember you know, things, but it has to do with fear and negativity, and I think it's really interesting. All right, let's do the five at five. We're having fun here. Maybe this segment will go fast, too. The five at five. Well, legendary Georgia football coach Vince Dooley has passed away. Age of 90. It's a good life. Led the Georgia Bulldogs to six SEC titles. Won the 1980 National Championship at Georgia. School announced it in a statement today. He worked at the University of Georgia for 41 years as the head football coach and AD. He took the Bulldogs to 20 bowl games in 25 seasons. His record, 201, 77, and 10. He's a college football Hall of Famer. Um, his, uh, his name has been added to the field on Sanford Stadium, uh, home of the Bulldogs since 1929. Uh, there's a statue of Dooley being lifted by his players from the 1980 national title team. He was uh, in attendance as the Bulldogs beat Alabama to win their second national championship in January. Um, and uh, Herschel Walker won the Heisman Trophy under Dooley. And Vince Dooley passes away at the age of 90. Let's start there. Number two, some bad news in the Tom Brady world. Tom Brady and Giselle are announcing their divorce after 13 years. I think a whole bunch of us saw this coming. We've talked about it. Buccaneers starting quarterback uh, announced today that he and his wife has finalized a divorce, ending ending 13 years of marriage. There was months and months of speculation about marital strife, his return. Uh, Brady posted on Instagram basically saying that uh, they arrived at this decision with gratitude for the time they spent together. They are vowing to work together as parents. Um, it's really interesting too, you know, I had a friend who asked me last night, you know, can you, did you ever imagine that we would have felt, I guess, sorry for Tom Brady and what is going on in his life? Like, it was just like a year or two ago, we were talking about what a good life, wouldn't it be great to be Tom Brady? You guys remember all that? Oh, Tom Brady's got it so easy. Yeah. I mean, everyone's going through something, right? You just never know. Did you ever think that you would feel sorry for Tom Brady's life? Tom Brady and uh, Giselle announcing divorce. And, uh, oh, by the way, Buccaneers not playing all that well either on the football field. If you uh, saw last night's game, 27-22, Tom Brady threw for 325 yards but lost. The Buccaneers have now lost, I think it's four in a row. They were 3-1 to start. They're now 3-5, and and, uh, things not going well. Number three in our five at five. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, Russell Westbrook. The Lakers have a plan for him. His plan is to come off the bench. That's right. He will come off the bench. He missed uh, the loss to the Nuggets on Wednesday because of a hamstring injury. Uh, Westbrook uh, has a streak of 1,007 consecutive starting appearances. It's the third longest active streak in the league behind Chris Paul and LeBron James. Uh, That will end, and uh, he has been downgraded from questionable uh, to available. I mean, from available to questionable, but he's going to he he is going to not start. He will come off the bench. 
I think ultimately, what's the right thing to happen to Westbrook? What do the Lakers need to do here What to get rid of him? Will anyone take that contract? I mean, someone will take it, I think, uh, you know, at the trade deadline that they're trying to, you know, just shed some salary because he is on the final year of his deal. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the Lakers have no other choice but to do this. That's yeah. all they got. I, I don't know. I mean, everyone wants that 2027 and 29 first-round pick in exchange for the trouble. The Lakers, I mean... Yeah. I wouldn't put them past them to fi- to get rid of that too, but they they're finally realizing they got to hold on to these picks. It, it, they might be stuck between a rock and a hard place here. Really, really difficult when you kind of look at the position they're in because they're not, you know, they're not good enough to to uh, contend. You know, if they stay healthy, and you know, is the better outcome for them that Westbrook somehow figures it out and he plays his best basketball in some time? Or I mean, is that possible? Yeah. It's possible. I don't think it's in any way probable. But you can imagine, look, you go on that second unit with guys that supposedly can shoot, even though they haven't shown it this year. But he's not standing there with LeBron. Like, it would be stupid to take the ball out of LeBron's hands or AD's hands. But if you just have him just attack the back basket relentlessly, and he's not as good as he used to be, and the turnovers will be up a little bit. But he can at least lead that second unit that hasn't shown anything yet. It's not efficient. But I, I think you can get a little more out of Russ. Yeah, I mean, like- a couple years ago with the Wizards, he averaged a triple-double, and it was like, that's the way you got to do it with him. He has to be the guy with the ball. He can't play off the ball. That's just not his game. He can't shoot. He's not a good cutter. He's just not really a smart basketball player, but he's an athletic freak that can go <laughs> He can go hard and make plays for himself and others. So, like, he needs the ball in his hands at all times. But like Peter said, with LeBron maybe on the court, you can't give him the ball. Those guys are much better. Our fourth thing in our 5 at 5, let's go to Houston. Police in Houston are expecting massive crowds and bad traffic expected for the World Series. Uh, the the uh, mayor of Houston and the police chief of Houston have gone public. They're basically saying, let's have some fun, but let's also show some class here in our city. We'll win, but show some class. That's literally a quote from the Houston police chief. They're going to close a bunch of lanes and roads around Minute Maid Park. They uh, they are saying, like other people are saying, that Houston has the worst drivers. But the police department telling residents, show some class. They're supposed to have 40,000 people at the stadium for the game and thousands and thousands more around the stadium for the game. Show some class is the message coming out of uh, Houston. And by the way, uh, not everybody has forgiven the Astros for 2017. You know, remember when they cheated? Remember when they are banging on the trash cans and what? Uh, it's uh, it's weird. I think there are a lot of people around the country that are rooting for the Phillies. And, by the way, Phillies pitcher Dave Robertson, uh, you know, he basically, his Yankees lost to Houston in the ALCS in 2017. He's with the Phillies now. He said, quote, I will never get 2017 back, end quote. Despite four World Series appearances in six years, the Astros remain villains, and they're villains in this series. Anybody rooting for the Astros? No. Uh, no, no. I, I made a bet that Jeremy Pena wins MVP, so a little bit of me, uh, just for my mm. money account. But uh, my question is, if the Astros win, does that cancel 2017 now that it would be, quote-unquote, no. legitimate? No, they stole it. They stole it. You can't, you can't go back and say if they win now, then that was okay. Like, you know what would be fitting is they lose this on a you know they lose it on a bad call or they get boat raced. Why didn't you bet Bryce Harper? Uh, Jeremy Pena was like seventeen to one, so 
get on that app right now. Number two hitter for the Astros. Man, Astros Harper's, are favored. Harper's been so good, though, hasn't he? He has been, but you know, Houston, the favorite of the series, I took the number two hitter, that's all. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm. Is there another bet on this series that you guys like that uh, you know people can get get their bets in? So no, I don't. I'm just gonna go game by game. Uh, I think the over is kind of good. Peter's tonight. got one. I think Peter. I hear yeah. one coming from Peter. I mean, it's it's not a, a sexy bet, but just the Phillies at minus 170 or plus 170. Yeah. Excuse me. That's a lot of value. I mean, they're playing so freaking well. And if you look at their performance this season, yeah, there they was the sixth seed. But how much of that was under Joe Girardi? And how much did they change when they, uh, they switched managers there? They've been playing so well. I mean, they handled the Cardinals, who are a good team. They crushed the Braves, who were playing World Series form again. And then they took care of the Padres, who have a great staff and a couple stars. I mean, I'm not saying they should be favored in this series, but that's phenomenal value. Yeah, look at that. See, that's why you come to the show. Uh, finally, let's talk about the Pac-12 a little bit. Pac-12 presidents and chancellors are meeting next week along with the ADs. It is a meeting. It's called their fall meeting. The ADs will be on, on part of the meetings, and then the presidents and chancellors are expected to get consensus on what to do with their next media rights deal. What do I expect? Well, I expect they're going to end up on Amazon. I think they're going to go with a streamer for the Pac-12 networks. Keep an eye on that. Uh, but it is going to be a kind of a, I think, a big deal for the uh, Pac-12, and I think obviously a big deal for the uh, the conference itself and fans of the conference as they look forward to being able to see the games and being able to see them maybe at times that don't start with a seven or eight. That is the five at five. Coming up, we'll do uh, punch and audio. We'll take a trip around the world of sports. Uh, we also need to play What's Your Peeve because it's a Friday, so we'll check in and find out what's bothering you. And then uh, we will give you what's on tap, what's happening this weekend. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. It's good to see classes going on field trips again. You know, there was a while there that school stopped going on field trips. And by a while there, I mean, like, I think it was around 2008. It was, uh, there was just this push. The state legislature stopped funding schools at the level that they were funding them. And all of a sudden, uh, schools stopped going on field trips. And I know this because the BFT Foundation was funding field trips all of a sudden. And people were saying, hey, we don't have money for buses. We don't have the funding for it. And... And uh, I just noticed uh, my kids' class went on a field trip today. I was like, okay, this uh, this means that it's post-pandemic, and it means that they had enough money for a bus. So this is good. If you uh, want to help schools, you can go to baldfacetruth.org and make a tax-deductible donation. You can send a class on a field trip. You can literally go to the donate thing and go, hey, fund a trip, field trip, and you can do that. But uh, really cool to see some schools getting out and some kids getting some experiences uh, and getting hands-on on a rainy day at a nature center, a pumpkin patch, whatever it may be. Uh, all right, let's play some Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. 
Well, Cal will host Oregon on Saturday. Bill Musgrave is the offensive coordinator for Cal. He was asked, why does Cal always play Oregon tough? Here's Musgrave. Punch it. Also, since Coach Wilcox has been at Cal, the program has seemed to play Oregon really tough, uh, despite Oregon's level of talent. Any common theme you can put a finger on? I haven't really thought about that too much. As you know, we're, we're really focused on the week's opponent, their defense. I haven't really looked at that big picture. I mean, my, my response to that is since Coach Wilcox has been here at Cal, Cal's played everybody really tough. I mean, that's the culture of uh, California football is to uh, demonstrate grit and uh, and play tough and uh, be ultra, ultra competitive. Yeah, there it is. There's a non-answer answer. I think it has to do with uh, Mario Cristobal more than anything. My theory is Mario Cristobal coached, uh, had superior talent, but coached not to lose. Often kept the games closer than they should have been. I think he did that against a lot of programs. But I also think Wilcox occasionally won a game he shouldn't win because he's a pretty good defensive coach and he had pretty good players. He had an Evan Weaver on defense. Uh, he, you know, he's had some quarterbacks. He's had some decent players. Dan Lanning talking about Cal quarterback Jack Plummer here. Punch it. I think he's a really accurate quarterback. He does a good job of uh, getting the ball downfield, and I don't think there's a lot of throws that he can't make. Um, he does a good job of that. Um, probably more elusive than people give him credit for. Does a good job moving the pocket, but he's, he's got good wideouts, and he's done a good job delivering the ball accurately. Yeah, I think he does, but I think he's, he would have to have an incredible game for Cal to be in this game. I think uh, what I really want to see from Oregon in this game tomorrow, it's not anything on offense. It's not Bo Nix. It's not Kenny Dillingham's offense at all. I want to see Oregon's defense against a very challenged Cal offense. Keep an eye on that. Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost again last night on Thursday Night Football. Brady talked about why the offense has struggled. You know, I think we've struggled pretty much at everything, you know. We just struggled in the red area, struggled in third down, struggled in the run game, uh, two-point plays, um, short yardage, backed up, start the first quarter, start of the third quarter, not very good offense football. Yeah, everything going wrong. Brady doesn't sound... Uh... Doesn't sound very happy there. Not going, uh, things not going well for him in general as he and his wife, has, uh, his wife has filed for divorce. And it's Brady's personal life. It's Brady's professional life. Uh, really tough. Sophia Smith of the Portland Thorns, she says they are locked in. Thorns play uh, Kansas City for the NWSL title. Punch it. Yeah, I think we just, we just have to come together as a team and talk about it because we don't want to be too high going into this game and, and then get caught by surprise. I think we need to kind of bring ourselves to a level of obviously being confident, but know that it's going to be a fight. Um, and we're going to have to literally give every last thing we have, um, put it, leave it out on the field. So I think just talking to each other and I, I'm not worried about anyone not being locked in because this we're hungry for this, for this championship. You want to be hungry. You also want to be relaxed to play your best in sports. The Thorns are such a good story, such a good story. And Obviously, uh, given everything that's happened with that franchise, fun to see them competing at the highest level. Kyle Whittingham talking about Cam Rising. His star quarterback did not play. Uh, this is tough audio, but I want you to hear it in Whittingham's words. 
He basically says it, it was Cam Rising's decision not to play yesterday. Punch it. Uh, Cam obviously went through the warm-ups today. What, what went into the decision to, to help him out? Just didn't feel like he was right. So it was, uh, it was uh, game to see. Did he correct respect that? Yeah, just didn't feel like he was right. Uh, I am told by sources in the Utah football department that Cam, it was Cam Rising who came to Kyle Whittingham and basically just said, I feel shaky. I can't go. Um, I, look, I, I applaud a player who's willing to say that in this era of of uh, football where everything feels like it's the biggest deal in the world. Like, I think it is big that a player said, hey, I, I don't think I can go here. Clay Thompson says he's got a broken heart. Why? Charles Barkley's words. Charles Barkley said, Clay is not the player he once was. Clay Thompson fired back, punching. So, uh, you know, it hurts when, uh, you know, someone like Charles Barkley with the platform he has says you're not the same player prior to the injuries you have. It's like, no duh, man. Consecutive years, I, like, tore my ACL and my Achilles in consecutive years and still help a team win a championship. I mean, it hurt hearing that because it's like, man, I put in so much freaking effort to get back to this point. Like, it's hard to even put into words what I had to do to be the player I am today. And it's like, I played 55, 57 games in three years. Like, give me some freaking time to get that back and just hear someone say, oh, he's not the same prior to the, as he was prior to the injuries. Like, duh. Like, who goes through something like that and comes back? I, I don't know. It just hurt my heart hearing that. But you know what? I'm going to internalize it, and it's going to be fuel for me to be even better. And I think I'm, I'm very proud of what we accomplished last year, and I feel like I was a huge part of it. You know, so I'm not going to let these injuries be a crutch for me. I'm just going to keep going, and I'm going to have a great year. I, I bet on that. Clay Thompson. Finding a, finding a chip to put on his shoulder there. I like that he's got some fire. I thought, yeah, Peter, tell me out. Guys, help me out with this. What Was he legitimately hurt there? He sounds like at first I thought he was joking. And then the more it went on, I was like, he actually is hurt by this. Yeah, I think he is a little bit. I mean, you were, the rehab for those kind of injuries is brutal and you have two of them back to back you've accomplished so much everyone in the league likes clay like you can not, not like the warriors but like everyone thinks clay's a cool guy he's a fun guy and he's he was the best two-way you know two guard in the nba before he got hurt and now he's getting called out and buried you know and he's just not ready it's clear he's lost a step but he's at least still working his way back but he sounded legitimately i mean hurt is the best way to put it yeah i mean he might he respects barkley i think a lot too right like yeah. people forget how good barkley was as a player so for him to say he's lost a step i think it hurt him i also think that uh you know people respect steph and they know that steph evolutionized revolutionized the game but clay was right there with him right and clay doesn't get the you know the props that steph does and now that clay's lost a step because of the injuries people are counting him out and he is a hall of fame player like He's never really got his due, I think. So I think it's just a combination of all those things. I also think Steph Curry, listen to this. He indirectly criticized Charles Barkley here. Listen to this, uh, throwing some shade at Charles. Punch it. The comments are, you know, part of 
our success, right? You're always going to be in the in the spotlight, and people care about how you're playing and care to comment positively or negatively because they know that'll move the needle. And when you say certain names, people are going to pay attention. But uh, it's interesting just because you, you know, certain guys kind of forget what their careers look like on the, on the back end. So you can kind of cast and throw those stones. But, you know, Clay's still in here, like you said, helping us win a championship um, after two, you know, hellish years he had. Is uh, Steph Curry essentially saying, Charles, your career wasn't that great? Especially at the end there. In Houston, anyway. <laughs> yeah, gained a little weight there, trying to chase a championship ring. Yeah. Uh, didn't get it. Yeah, felt like at the end there when you were stumbling around, you weren't the same either. Um, look, let's let's acknowledge that the Warriors, the way they were built, gave us a break from an era where it was, what, super teams? I'm taking my talents to Miami. I'm going back to Cleveland. It, you know, it aside from the Durant uh, arrival at Golden State, having Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson in Golden State gave hope to franchises that were drafting. Yeah, no doubt, and they did it the right way. That's how you're supposed to do it. Build through the draft and then add through free agency with Durant like they got him. And a lot of the role players were drafted as well, you know, like Kevon Looney, Jordan Poole, and now they got the young guys with Kuminga and Moody. Like, they've done it the correct way, but they've won so much, people are starting to hate them, and, you know, it, I think it just gets at them because they've done it the exact way that people want them to do it, and they're still getting mad at them. There you go. It's true. It's right. That's Punch It Audio. Coming up, I want you to start lining up. What's your peeve? What bothers you? What's on your mind? I don't want you going to the weekend while holding something back. Get it off your chest. I'll give you my peeve. I want you to line up with yours at 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. What's your peeve? What's on your mind? What's bothering you? 503-417-7575 is a phone number. I will also allow you, if you are still upset or want to weigh in on the FS1 Utah debacle that happened last night, uh, if you want to weigh in on that, I'll take your calls as well on that front. But, uh, you know, we generally reserve this segment for something that's been bothering you. You want to get it off your chest, sports-related or not. Let's let it rip. What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. Okay, get it off your chest. We're going to go to Salt Lake City first. Cody's in Salt Lake City. Wants to talk about the FS1 broadcast last night. Cody, what's up, man? Yeah, hey. I read your article. I thought, well, yeah, maybe Petros has a point. But then I remembered back in the summertime. We're on vacation. My 15-year-old boy and his nephew come running in. We just get off the ledge. And it was Fox Sports that killed the Pac-12. So yeah, take your, take your uh, stuff and... Stick it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> I like it. So uh, that's your peeve, Fox in general. Yeah, Fox in general. That broadcast looked like two-year-olds did it yesterday. Well, it, you know what? Here's the thing. I, I hope, Cody, like, it wouldn't the best-case scenario be Pac-12's renegotiating their media rights deal. Whoever takes over the deal 
you know, notices that Fox FS1 didn't have the broadcast team in the stadium, didn't have a sideline reporter, only had six cameras, big blow up over last night's game. That could have been avoided in part if FS1 had committed more to the broadcast, I'm sure. Right. I mean, I, I would agree. I would agree. It just looked like they didn't care. It looked like it's a late-night ESPN, you know, the old Mountain West. Yeah. After 10, Monday night basketball stuff. Yeah. I like – all right, so I'll, I'll join that, and I'll amend his peeve, and I'll say that part of my peeve is when I see either ESPN or FS1 not go all in on a broadcast for the amount of money involved in college football, college athletics, and media rights should have happened. Should have happened. Dave's in Vancouver. Dave, welcome to the program. What's your peeve? Okay, so this is the absolute opposite of butt cracks. But, okay. uh, you know, remember the little mini helmets that used to get out of the gumball machine? Yeah. Yes. yes. What, what the hell happened to those? Yeah. You know, they're changing helmets, there's new styles, all that. I, I would pay $50 getting my set every year, and the last couple of years, I haven't seen them in, shoot, it's probably been five years since I've seen those. Yeah. No, I, uh, me. You know, it bothered me, man. When I was a kid in elementary school, I used to have a lunch pail with all the helmets on it. I love that lunch pail. And I knew those helmets inside and out. And not only that, uh, you know, there was only 28 helmets on that lunch pail. And so I kind of wondered if what happened, uh, I kind of wondered if what happened with those little plastic helmets were that, A, you got 32 teams in the NFL now. B, the helmets have all changed, or a lot of them have changed, not, you know, not like the Pittsburgh Steelers or whatnot. But, yeah, what happened to those little helmets? Can we get the little helmets back in the gumball machine? Five that, oh, yeah, oh, go ahead. That and uh, with the pencils, like the team pencils. I remember yes. going to school, I would always get those, all the sports. I've looked, they don't have them anywhere except for like at arenas or like at certain sports stores. But like I want the set. I want all the sets of the pencils. I remember those pencils. You just brought back a memory. Do you remember pencil fights? No. <laughs> what are pencil <laughs> fights? Sound Peter, awesome. do you remember a pencil fight? Uh, no, I got, this, I got stabbed with a pencil. No, once no, 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 not that kind of fight. You used to have to take the pencil and you'd hold it. You'd hold each end of the pencil with your hand. Okay. Maybe this is just my generation before we had video games. We had nothing to do. So we'd hold the pencil out and the other person got to take their pencil and then they would lift it back. You don't want to break it, but you'd lift it back like a catapult and you'd strike it on the middle of the other person's pencil. Now it, you know, if you hit it in the right spot enough times, the other guy's pencil would break. So one of the pencils breaks first. That's the winner, whoever breaks the other guy's pencil first. Now, there were pencils that had various uh, you know, degrees of uh, elasticity that you could buy. You also had the big fat uh, husky pencil, which was an unfair fight. But uh, we had pencil fights when I was like in third, fourth grade. Uh, I don't think kids today are having pencil fights. I'm about to teach my kids about it. And <laughs> that's the thing. Like, and you weren't doing it for money or anything. It was no. just pride. It was just pride. Like, hey, my pencil's stronger than yours. What does that do with anything? I don't know, but I'm going to beat you in a pencil fight. It was a gladiator sport <laughs> on the elementary school. Justin is calling in from Castle Rock. Justin, what's your peeve? Well, first off, I got to give props to the pencil fights. Pencil fights were huge. Yes. It was the WWE of the uh, playground. Yes. Yeah, I think it's so, I think it's a generational thing. Yeah, maybe I'm getting old. 
Yeah. Well, my peeve, unfortunately, is with you and the bald-faced truth, John. Bring it. Yeah, you're pushing this narrative that there's a right and a wrong way to build a team. The object is to win. Okay. It doesn't matter how you win. As oh, long as you oh, win, come on. this is a results-based business. Eh, it doesn't matter, though. Don't like Who's your team? I'll give you an example. Who's your team? Well, unfortunately, in basketball right now, I'm a Lakers fan. Okay, so let's just say that the Lakers had drafted better instead of giving up all their picks and going the free agent route, and they had players that you had seen develop and blossom. Wouldn't you feel better about a championship than you'd feel about, you know, a Lakers team that, you know, let's just say they make two deals and they grab guys for short-term contracts, or is a championship just a championship? Well, a champion, when you have as many championships as I've seen in my lifetime now, you get a little spoiled, and you know that winning is everything. Let me ask you, as a, as a Blazers guy here, or a Northwest yeah. guy, sure. wouldn't you like to have had a championship two years ago? Yeah. Yeah, the team nice. has sucked for a while, but yeah, at least you got a championship, right? Yeah, but you know what? I, I I felt better about, like, the A.C. Green, James Worthy. You know, those were draftable players your teams took. Jerry, You know, Jerry West was a drafted player. You know, it was – you talk about Magic. He drafted Magic. You know, didn't that feel better to you? And James Worthy and Byron Scott. Yeah, you know, all, all drafted. Yeah. Um, and drafted Kobe. You yeah. know, but you had to yeah. put people around him to, to help him out. But you didn't know, it feel? My point is, ball, didn't it feel? Didn't it feel better to you that those were your? Those were homegrown. It, Farm to I table. Just <laughs> I just want champions. All right, all right, <laughs> no, all right. Guys. You too, Justin and Castle Rock. I, I don't know. I think it's more gratifying. I'm not saying like when I go into a restaurant, food, good food is good food. But if you tell me, hey, this was all locally produced and it's also good, Peter, come on. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and you know my response to uh, Justin would be like the 2020 Lakers championship. They they drafted some really good players that are thriving elsewhere, and they got a championship that everyone kind of goes, okay, cool. Like no one cares about it. No one is really envious. The only people I see, see hyping that championship up is Laker fan himself or herself trying to make themselves feel better. I don't know. I kind of agree with Justin as a guy that really only you know my favorite team be the Blazers out of all sports. I just want a championship, like in my kid's lifetime, so I could take him to the parade. So I think I would take a, I would take a championship no matter what. Like keep Dame, trade Dame, but like, yeah, it would be great with Dame. But you know what? If they had to trade him and it was a guaranteed championship, I'm trading Dame right now for a guaranteed championship. Mm. I I want to be homegrown, but I think when you uh, when you haven't had a championship parade since 1977, you you go okay, we'll take one now. We'll take a homegrown one later. Uh, leave it here. Coming up, uh, what's on tap? <laughs> You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Before we get into what's on tap, guys, do you want to give your peeve? We didn't get to give our, all our peeves. Yeah, I got a peeve. Yeah. Um, and I'm mindful of that disclaimer as well. Obviously, voting is important. But I'm tired of getting voting things in my text messages, in the mail, on TV. 
I'm about to just vote for whoever doesn't send me things because it's so annoying. Like in the mail yesterday, yes. it was completely full of just voting stuff. And this was like, you know what? You're talking about those postcards. Yeah, just stop. Send. Just stop. Yeah. I get text messages all the time. It's like, just stop sending me these things. It's not going to change my vote. That's good. I, I mean, I, I just, it's so oh, so frustrating. I, I had one time, there was a city council race in our little town, and uh, I had a... Uh, I had uh, uh, one of those flyers, postcards left on my back door. To get to my back door, you got to open the fence and get into my backyard. I didn't like that. And I, I actually reached out to the candidate and said, hey, your person came into my backyard. Like, I'm n- I can't, you're not getting my vote, but I want you to know, like, your person is in my backyard. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, like mail, even mailing it feels invasive like i'm happy for the postal service they're getting some money out of this do you do you even look at them no they go straight to the recycling it's a waste of money yeah i don't even look i couldn't even tell you who sent them to me i threw them i got the same thing i threw them all away yeah it's just annoying just you know what just stop so don't waste your money yeah put it put it put it to use to the city Peter, what do you got? What's your peeve? Yeah, I mean, I want to pile on with that. I agree with that. Let's If we get money out of politics and set the same amount aside, uh, those mailers will get drastically reduced. I think that's something everyone can agree with. Mine is not as uh, timely as that necessarily, but my peeve, man, especially today, is people, and I don't know why, because we live in Oregon, forgetting how to drive in the rain. It happens every single year when the weather changes. All of a sudden, everyone has to go 20 miles under the speed limit, not paying attention, via paying too much attention. I get being careful. You need to be careful. Yes, the roads can be slick that first time it rains, but we don't need to go 15 miles an hour. We have places to be. Bad driving in general. Be a uh, be a, be a good driver. Bad driving in general. There's your peeve. Mm. Um, all right, I'll give my peeve. Uh, it's bandwagon fans, plain and simple. Right now, not so much in college football, but in the NFL, we're about to see people start to pick their teams but look um there's two teams playing in the world series and the games will be going on in the weekend and into next week astros and phillies if you haven't been an astros and phillies fan all year you can root for teams you can watch the world series you can get into it you can be happy you can shed a tear if the phillies win or whatnot but don't pretend like you've been there all along. If I see you walking around and you got a brand new Phillies hat on or a brand new Astros hat on, you've never worn one before. I'm not talking about Keith. If you've never worn one before, <laughs> Keith in our office uh, uh, is a diehard Phillies fan. But he's been a Phillies fan from the beginning. You can vouch for that. At the beginning of the playoffs, I said, hey, how are the Phillies going to do? He says they're not going to make it, but I'm going to root for them anyway. Well, here they are. But I don't want to see you walking around with a brand new Phillies cap on this week if you haven't repped the Phillies before. That's my peeve. No front running. No bandwagoning. Love it. Love it. Yeah, it's, it is annoying. And I can vouch. Yeah. P, or, uh, Keith, he's been all about the Phillies. So I'm, I'm with him. I, I texted. Yeah, I texted him earlier. I said, hang in there. Uh, okay. So here we go. Let's go into uh, what's on tap for the weekend. Now it's time for what's on tap and what's on TV at the Independent. On the BFT. Let's start with the Pac-12 games. Tomorrow, 1230, FS1, Oregon, at Cal. Make sure you tune into that. USC and Arizona, 4 o'clock on the Pac-12 networks. Uh, at 430, Arizona State and Colorado on ESPNU. And at 730, you got Stanford at UCLA on ESPN. If we're talking about Major League Baseball, yes, the World Series is on. 
Uh, over the weekend, uh, coming up, you will have tomorrow uh, the pivotal game two of that World Series. It'll be a 5.03 p.m. first pitch tomorrow. Uh, then uh, game three will be Halloween, just um, pointing that out. So obviously we got some NFL games going on over the weekend as well. A big full TV slate, but uh, for NFL fans, uh, I'm not as into the, my Niners this week after last week, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the NFL games. Guys, let's go through. Is there an NFL game this weekend that you're looking forward to? I will go through some of them. Obviously, uh, you got the morning game going on. Uh, Russell Wilson and the Broncos at the Jaguars, 6.30 in the morning. Russell Wilson working out still on that airplane. Uh, we'll fi find out what's going on uh, there. Bears at Cowboys at 10 o'clock on Fox. That's a that's an interesting game. See what the Cowboys have going for them. Uh, also, uh, the Jets, the 5-2 and two Jets, are hosting the Patriots. You talk about the new world against the old world. That game's at 10 a.m. on CBS. That's kind of interesting as well. Niners at Rams. I'm a little concerned about this game. 125, 49ers at SoFi Stadium. Uh, and then the Giants, the 6-1 Giants, also at 125, playing at the Seahawks, who have been better than advertised. Packers at Bills in what feels like an important game on Sunday night on NBC. What are you guys looking forward to in, in the NFL? You know, there's one game between two teams that have a winning record. It's the Giants at the Seahawks. Mm -hmm. Who had that at the start of the year? <laughs> Nobody. Uh, so I think that game is actually pretty fun to watch. You know, the Seahawks, their updated win total is at 8 right now. Wow. Uh, on DraftKings, which is crazy to where it was. And they're leading the NFC West. I mean, if they win this game, you know, they could be two games up on the Niners or the Rams. So I think it's, I think that would be a thrilling game, an exciting one between the Giants and the Seahawks. I agree with that. I mean, it's a little surprising, but certainly I got to go Rams, 49ers, both teams disappointing. But doesn't it, I mean, it, that's been historically a rivalry. It had gone away from that for a while, frankly, because the Niners were just way better than the Rams. But it feels like that's heated up in the last couple of years, doesn't it? It has. And in Roger Goodell's league, I mean, I think everybody is looking to be 8-8 eight and eight right now and, and thinking they or get to get to 500 and then figure out what happens in the last few weeks of the season. It's tough right now in the NFL. And I get it. Everybody feels like they're in it, but it feels like a muddled mess right now. I can't pick the playoff teams out. I don't know who's good and who's not. Aside from the Bills. All right. Uh, we will be back next week with more great shows and big guests. Excited to see what happens this weekend in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, grab a podcast to this show. Peter, Peter, you got coming up uh, on the Pulse. You got anything exciting going? Yeah, talking trailblazers and, uh, believe it or not, a little bit of rock and roll. An icon passed away today. All right. Peter Sampson and the Pulse. Keep it right here if you're listening on 750 The Game. The fun continues.